Um, I'm feeling a little sickly, Morgan. Could you do the intro? Yeah. Uh, welcome to Analog <laughs> Stick. Are you going to cough through my intro? Is that how this no, is going to go? What? I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> He's dying. Uh, welcome to Analog Stick, a PlayStation 2 podcast, the podcast where every month we do a deep dive on one PS2 title. We cover the game's development history, discuss its legacy, and share our thoughts and opinions on the game through a modern lens. We release a new episode on the second of every month, so subscribe or follow if you'd like to stay up to date with this show. But why are you sabotaging my notes, sir? <laughs> I'm in the middle of speaking. <laughs> also, get your ding dang name out of the way on this Google Doc. I can't see what I'm trying to read. <laughs> Please support the podcast by leaving a rating or review on whatever platform you like to listen on. You can find us on podcast platforms and YouTube as Analog Stick. I am your host. I, you don't have to highlight your name. <laughs> I know who I am. I am your host, Morgan. Joined, as always, by my spooky co-host, Clayton. How are you? Boo. Okay. I'm, I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, I think the this most, is the Halloween it, episode. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Yeah, yeah. This, that was the well, most. It's not well. That intro but, was full yeah. of jump scares because you kept changing things as I was trying to read it. So yeah, that is quite <laughs> malicious, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Felt like our Google Doc was uh, haunted by a poltergeist. Mm -hmm. I wonder if people do that because I, I I think most classrooms are run off of like the Google Classroom like, yeah. office suite thing. But it's all just live updating and stuff like that. You could totally mess with someone's presentation. Yeah, if you, wanted. you could. That would be mean. I do this thing to myself where um, I, I I write lots of things and and Google Docs writing is like a hobby of mine. And like I'll I'll be logged in on one device editing the doc, and then I'll pivot to like my phone or something, and then forget that I was still on that same doc on another device. So I'll like hop into like some document that's like my like private work, and I see a cursor there, and I'm like, who's that? who's here it's just me it's just, i'm scaring myself yeah. i feel like we missed the boat on the whole like digital integration with school like yes if we were just a couple years younger we probably would have been carrying around laptops in high school and stuff like that yeah we were the generation we had smart boards but nobody know <laughs> nobody knew that. how to freaking use them, so they would just be in the corner. It was just a less functional whiteboard, honestly. The calibration was always off. Yeah, there was always like one kid who could figure out how to use it, but if he wasn't there, it was just like it, yeah, it's yeah. free for all. And then we had the laptop carts. I think some schools still have laptop carts though. Mm. Like you don't like have your own laptop. Yeah, you just borrow it from the well, cart. We still had like computer lab. Like we had like yeah. next to the library, we had like a computer lab. Yeah. I, I guess that's not much of a thing anymore. Oh, do they not have like- I assume they all have laptops. Like the laptop cart has replaced mm. the computer lab. Okay. If I had to guess. But anyway, that's enough speculation on <laughs> high schools. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the housekeeping. So originally I was going to, I was going to garner all feedback from the audience and just kind of like, I was thinking bonus episode at first, but now I'm thinking- Let's just you know, stitch a few in at the beginning of each show. Okay. Grab a few pieces of feedback, a few comments. I also found out you can comment on Spotify. That's like a thing I forgot about. I think entirely. that was fairly recent, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like a, I think within the last year or something, there's like comments and polls, but it's weird. It's not like a normal comment section. I uh, logged into like our Spotify podcast account thing uh, and I had to publish them. Like I had to approve them basically. Oh, which is weird. Interesting. Um, so I went on and approved like a handful of them that were just kind of 
sitting there. Okay. <laughs> just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know how to leave a comment on a Spotify episode. So these people are much more technologically advanced. It was under the Q&A section, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, it's not a comment section, it's a Q&A section. It's right, like, because, <laughs> yes. I remember I went through and I changed, like, the default prompt. Uh, I think it's like, by default, it's like, what did you think of the episode? I changed it to, what do you think of the game or something like that? So hmm. I did one poll. There was a total of eight votes. I don't even know if I know how to vote on a poll either. So <laughs> these are eight very technologically advanced viewers. We okay. Have. Um, it was Jedi or Sith, I think, for the Battlefront episode. And they tied. It was a split. Yeah. yeah. Got some good boys and bad boys in our audience. Perfectly balanced. As all things should be. Just all, like this uh, podcast. Well, that's the the Thanos quote, not a Star Wars quote, but whatever. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Anyway. Yeah. Let's get into, uh, I picked one comment from Spotify just because I thought it was so novel <laughs> that there were comments on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, we have a comment from Emily. I don't know if last names make sense. It's, a, it's in a public platform. Yeah. I don't really care. Emily. Uh, great episode. This is one of my favorite games. Well, I should probably say this is on the Sly Cooper episode. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what game is she talking about? Yeah, yeah. Great episode. This was one of my favorite games growing up, and I still love the character. Us too. Yeah. What a, what a coincidence. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank, uh, thank you for listening, Emily. Uh, we have an email from uh, Harvey, aka Pizza Hotline, making uh, retro-inspired tunes out there on the YouTubes. He says, hey, with two wise. I assume that's a British thing. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen to a lot of gaming pods and yours is one of my favorites uh, with a U. Oh, that is the British spelling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I copy and pasted it in here, um, I did a screenshot, but initially I copied and pasted it in here. Google Docs was very mad at me for my, the spelling oh. of favorites. So <laughs> you might want to look into that, Harvey. Um, I love how you don't just choose the obvious titles in the PS2 library. You review some of the lesser known ones as well even some of the stinkers. Love that. You guys have superb chemistry and aren't afraid to record long episodes. God, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we don't have we'll a life. Waste, we'll waste so much of your time. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, so I'd like to recommend uh, one of my favorite PS2 games for you guys, Psychonauts. I completely forgot this was a PS2 game. I got to be Same. honest. I thought it was an Xbox exclusive, but Same. I, guess it, I guess it wasn't. I don't know. I associate it so closely with the Xbox. But mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he says, I played this in 2022 and I really loved it. It's a great platformer and it's stuffed with interesting ideas and it's also available on the P PlayStation Store. P A Station is what I said, I think. <laughs> P A Station. Uh, so it's easily accessible these days, albeit the emulation's a little bit hairy. Oh. Keep doing what you're doing, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. Nice. Uh, if you have any questions, feedback, or PlayStation 2 game recommendations, you can reach out to us at analogstickmail at gmail.com leave an app leave a comment or respond to the q a on spotify i guess i don't really know or youtube you can you can leave a comment on youtube i'll find you that's something you can do as well i will find you that's a <laughs> i guess that's a more intuitive way to reach out as well yeah, a little bit but yeah so uh thank you guys for reaching out and uh watching the podcast i'll just kind of grab a couple every episode is my thought because we have a few. Maybe we'll run out. Please, please email us. Keep talking, please. <laughs> this Don't is a leave small me podcast, alone with him. <laughs> in case you weren't aware. Yes. If you write in, you will get read. <laughs> uh, all right. So, oh, I was going to move this to the corrections. We have yet to do a correction, I think. So this is right. 
that this isn't even really a correction. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so something I noticed for because I am one of the weird ones who will like touch base with the podcast because sometimes listen when we record these sometimes they are months in advance so by the time the episode comes out we've i've forgotten what i even said about the game or like what i even yeah. thought about it so sometimes i'll go back and i'll listen to them and like be like oh yeah right 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 um i was watching the video version of the spyro enter the dragonfly episode which you can find on youtube and i noticed in the gameplay footage you had of crop circle country at the timestamp of 41 minutes 50 seconds there are two moons in the skybox and that definitely should not be the case okay i wasn't sure <laughs> at first like whenever you said that to me i was like is that just like a uh, like a roundabout like star wars reference I, like, no i'm pretty sure someone flubbed up the skybox i'm pretty sure that's not supposed to be there <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> my second thought was a glitch but maybe it is just in the game yeah you know I when I was editing that episode, I was kind of wondering because I was talking about like OPL having issues running the game and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not so sure that that wasn't just the game anymore. Like that might have just been the game. Oh, just the game. The breaking? game has issues. Like I don't know what is OPL and what is the game. So uh, mine never crashed that much on the PS2. I think it might have crashed like a couple times, but I played it like a lot and it didn't mm -hmm. it didn't crash that consistently. From. I know for a fact I've seen like some bad stuff from the disc based version. So yeah. Gotcha. I don't know. Could be anything. And anyway. then when I emulated it, it was fine. Mm -hmm. Well, until I got like to the last, I think the last level was where I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need you to help me set up PSX at some point because that's the, that's the PlayStation emulator, right? Mm -hmm. e, uh, yeah. PCSX2. PCSX. Okay. Yeah. Um, Two two yeah because i'm curious about like running some of these games because i assume that some of them will look nicer with the upscale some of them may look worse i don't mm. know yeah i've seen some footage and sometimes i'm like that looks pretty dang good so I'm, I'm just curious i haven't had to do it yet i've stuck to the ps2 for the most part yeah. except for sly cooper i think was the only game i played on a ps3 ah uh, gotcha uh but yeah i cut the opening topic because we have enough random bullshit to discuss every episode <laughs> right um if we ever have a future opening topic that we have to discuss, it can go in the random bullshit section. We got to touch base with Naruto we gotta. briefly. Basically touching base saying, there's not much to touch base on. Uh, I put it down for the time being. So, yeah. that's I, I, I made it to Shippuden. I watched the, fir the first few episodes. I don't know what happened. Got distracted. I think it was partially because I was on your Crunchyroll account mm -hmm. and I could only watch the sub. Yes. Which means that I had to be much more intentional about watching it. I couldn't right. just watch it in the background. Yeah, you had to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of just uh, have, I've left it hanging a little bit. I'll make it back eventually. I also think it's probably best that I just kind of, it's such a long series. It's a lot to get through. Yeah. I can yeah. just leave it for a little bit. I'll make it back. Um, right. I did start diving into the manga though. Right. Which yeah. Is, uh, Something you've done to me as well. I mean, you didn't make me read the manga, <laughs> I was but I mean, say, you, I didn't make you. <laughs> you knocked down the first domino on this. Okay, domino. yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm reading the fucking manga now. Like a like a. I don't know what's become of me, but I'm gonna blame you for getting me started on Naruto. Alrighty. <laughs> uh, I read the first through three volumes on Naruto, which is the same story as what's in the anime. Basically, mm -hmm. uh, it just cuts out all of the filler and stuff like that. 
I kind of enjoy how fast paced it is compared to the anime where it's like yeah the flashbacks yeah you're cutting out like a majority of the flashbacks there's still some flashbacks but it's just you don't spend like three episodes on a fight it's just like three chapters you can just kind of blaze through that at your own pace i think it's almost preferable because one of my big issues with the anime format was like the poor pacing and the amount of time they'd spend on fights and just getting everyone's reaction to everything Mm -hmm. well it's funny that you were like oh you your influence made me purchase the manga and get into reading manga because you purchasing the manga and starting to read the manga made me go and order Mm. um i think it's like the official cyclical yeah the official fan guide maybe and then like the character data book for naruto yeah so i have like a book and it's like packed full of like lore and stuff about like the setting, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then the the character data book has like everyone's stats and, and abilities <laughs> and like their strengths and their favorite strength food. rating of 500. Yeah, yeah. And their favorite food, which I thought was so cute. Mm. Yeah. I think I saw Naruto cook. I don't know if it was a cookbook or if I just saw a video. I don't know. I saw something about the ramen that they eat mm-hmm. and I was very interested that little swirly i don't even know what that thing is it's like fish cake i think Ooh, the swirly the swirly thing is called a naruto what yeah you know what his name means his name means fish cake whirlpool <laughs> like and is that does is there a deeper meaning behind rasengan for that reason like i think that's just like spiral ball or something because he's spinning around the water i mean he's a fish he's a fish whirlpool he's spinning around this ball of water is that not okay yeah okay Um, and then um uh kakashi's name kakashi hatake is scarecrow farm field that's his name okay (laughs) sasuke's is like sasuke uchiha uh the uchiha name is derived from the word for like fan because that's like their clan symbol so his his name is it means something like helper fanboy or something like well not fanboy but like helper fan yeah helper handheld fan okay Um, sakura haruno i think that might be cherry blossom springtime that's that's fine i could be wrong it's something like that that's like something that's like a i don't know like that would inspire a name today that's a normal inspiration for a name i feel like yeah not fish whirlpool fish cake Uh, whirlpool yeah yeah (laughs) and i think the most the last stupid one that i'm fairly aware of like off the top of my head i think hinata hinata huga i'm pretty sure that means something like sun sun it's either sunshine sunflower or sunflower sunshine or something like that like okay yeah or sunflower where the sun shines or something like okay I get right. it, son. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you read any manga before? Like, is that something? Because Morgan, yes. I mean, I've, we've expressed your artistic capabilities on the show before, oh. as well as your writing passion. Yes, it feels like something you should be interested in. Is like comics and manga and stuff, but I don't yeah. know if you are. It's uh, oh, like interested in like reading. Yeah, it's kind of. Mm, I don't know because. You know, I don't know. I, I actually the the first manga and the only other manga that I own is um the King, Kingdom Hearts has a manga. Okay. Like yep. a couple I think we've discussed this. I yeah. remember now. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a handful of volumes per game. Um 
And I, I have a digital copy of the first manga for Cage One because I was watching like a YouTube breakdown of it and there is a couple very inappropriate jokes in it. And I was like, well, I got to see what that's about. So really? I went and bought, yeah, I bought a digital copy. And then I have um, the first um, volume of the Cage 2 manga, which I got from a scholastic book order form when I was a kid. <laughs> so, yeah. Is this like, um, this isn't retellings of the events in the game, right? This no, it is. This is like new stuff. Oh, okay. No, it is, except it makes it like more fun. Like okay. it's more like cartoony. Oh, they're delightful. I love them, actually. That's nice. Yeah. I feel like there's, I don't know, I've, I've noticed there's a surprising amount of like, there's like some surprising adaptations with manga. Like I found a, uh, like a red and blue Pokemon. There's like a whole series based off the games and stuff. Oh, cool. And I read the first one and it just kind of like the TV show, if the TV show was more closely based off the game, I mm. guess. Yeah. So it's like going through the beats of the game, like all of the story beats, like going into Lavender Town with the goggles. And it's like you have Gary, who is blue and the rival. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it was neat. There was a period, so I, I got an e-reader to do all this because I've been reading The Walking Dead, which is kind of what spurred this on. Oh, so was like, was it my fault? <laughs> kind of. Okay. A little bit. Um, <laughs> but I don't read very much, but I was really enjoying reading The Walking Dead comics. And I was like, maybe I would enjoy just like, like manga as well. So I didn't want to like, oh, because they're so long running. I did not want to physically own like... 70 volumes of yeah. like Naruto, for example. Like that was overwhelming. So I got an e-reader. Yeah, it's also such a financial because huh, like it's like eight book eight bucks uh a volume, right? Approximately. Oh, it's a little cheaper digitally. There's like mm -hmm. five. And there's also like, I don't know. I've been able to find like some series through um uh very legal means <laughs> uh for a legal amount of money. Uh, <laughs> right on the topic sorry on the topic of of manga and anime do you remember when we were in college we were like there they should make an anime of the bible yes and i still think this and i think <laughs> about it frequently okay um did, did you have anything to no no i, was oh, okay. say, I thought I'm, you were about I'm to sure... tell me there is one no 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 <laughs> unfortunately no i don't i don't know of that i'm sure there is some manga out there that covers at least part of the bible there has mm -hmm. to be like like that I am willing to bet on. Um, I just think it would be really cool to have an extremely gruesome depiction of the Bible. That's basically all I want. I mean, there's brutal stuff in the Bible. I know. A lot of people I think act be, like it's not there, but it is. I'm excited about a lot of aspects of that being created and released. Like the controversy surrounding it. The churches yeah. that are like, this is too violent. Jesus would never. <laughs> Why is Jesus so shredded? <laughs> Why is Jesus he screaming? has like a 20 pack and he's just like, I yeah. don't know. He's about to unleash the wrath of God on somebody. He's, I don't know. Glowing like a Super Saiyan on the cross, <laughs> screaming. What is that about? That's not biblical. It would be so funny. <laughs> It'd be so funny. And I feel like Japan, the prime candidates to create something like this because they don't respect this holy scripture in the same way America well, does. Yeah. To them, it's just like, a fascinating like oh look at this country's this other country's mythology that's fun exactly let's play in that space and that's fine like i don't mm -hmm. i'm not upset about it but th 
That being said, there is an anime that is about, I believe, Jesus and I'm going to mess this up because I'm uneducated. Jesus and the Buddha. It's an anime um, about Jesus and the Buddha just like chilling. Interesting. It's slice of life, just chilling, hanging out, getting into shenanigans with each other, I think. I would like to watch that. That'd be what is the prevailing uh religion in Japan? Do you know? Uh yes. Let me Google it to make sure I don't mispronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut it together to make you sound more confident in the final edit. You know why I know what it is? And this is terrible. I was this is terrible to admit to. I was making my Naruto original character and I wanted to look we up. We are disgraceful human beings. <laughs> we are just. I, I want to play in that space. Okay. And so I was looking up because, you know, the, you know, like the red, the like red gate, the red gateways in Japan. And they're called Tori gates. Or called oh, Tori. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> and so in Naruto, some of the characters have a summon that is a gate that like looks like that. So I was doing research into that because I was like, well, maybe I want mine in Jigal to be able to summon a gate. And I was like, oh, this has to do with like religious symbolism. Oops, maybe maybe I should be a little bit careful with that. Be a little bit, try to be respectful. Um, I think the main religion is called Shinto. Shinto? Shinto, I think. It says Shinto and Buddhism are Japan's two major religions. But I, I tried to do some like research into Shinto and it's so different from our like western concept of like gods and and Mm -hmm. the idea of like of like divinity it's it's really hard to explain because it doesn't like directly translate into like how we understand things but basically it's like there are spiritual forces that can like inhabit certain places and that's what they build the shrines for is, is to invite these things to like inhabit that and you can like pray to them to like influence your life in like whatever beneficial way you need but you know they don't have like this like big obligation like the christian god does to like necessarily help you it's mm-hmm. i don't know it seems um it's not it's not monotheistic and i don't know if, if right. a lot of them there's like a few popular ones that are like named but i don't know if if most of them are even like recognized widely i don't know it's it's a whole different thing than what i've yeah. grown up with I, I took a class that was like exploring the world's, I don't know what it was in college. It was like a uh, elective. It was like required. I don't know what it was. It was just like meeting some weird requirement. So I had to take it. Um, but it was like world religions or something like that. Like an introductory class, just kind of broadly covering the different religions throughout the world. Because obviously we bo- we both grew up in a like Christian setting mm-hmm. and I was not really familiar with almost any other religion besides like western religions like judaism and mus like muslim beliefs they kind of they kind of intersect with christianity i mean judaism obviously well we share some some cultural roots yeah yeah there or like those ideas do Mm -hmm. i'm not saying we come from jewish people but sorry yeah (laughs) it was weird to learn about a religion that was just completely detached from that whole idea and stuff like that it was also really weird to learn about religions that were not evangelical like didn't emphasize creating disciples and stuff like yeah because i kind of viewed that as such a fundamental part of any religion based off my experience with christianity Mm -hmm. that it was weird that there were other religions where like you didn't necessarily need to like convert people (laughs) right (laughs) which was i don't know yeah that was weird but anyway uh this is a rule of rose podcast um (laughs) 
<laughs> Any exciting plans for the new house that you guys bought? This is a big deal. I mean, you guys are moving into your first home. Yeah. What do you mean by plants? I'm going to live like, in it. Are you going to have a sweet game and room? Oh. Are you going to have, um, like, is there anything fun that you plan on doing? There is a wide open area in the basement mm-hmm. um, that my husband is wanting to furnish as soon as possible because it has like a big projector screen down there. It's an old right. projector. Like we're probably gonna have to replace the projector, but he's like, totally. We gotta, we gotta get a, a giant couch to go down there because it has to go with the projector. I'm like, we, we should probably worry about the upstairs first, where we're actually gonna be like living <laughs> the whole time. But okay. maybe, maybe. We'll, get, we'll get, we'll get there. Wasn't it tile flooring at the basement too? Yes. Mm, okay. Do, is. Are you playing? Is there any like major renovation that you plan on doing? No. Okay. No. Not touching Just gonna that. live with it. <laughs> yeah, just living with it. It's fine the way it is. I'll get a big really rug if I want to cover it. Yeah, up. yeah. No, that's that's exactly. Uh, yeah, we plan to probably get like a maybe two to three area rugs, like one for the living room, one for the basement, maybe one for the dining area. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we packing. We have so much crap. I know. It's like, how do we have so much crap? It happens. It just happens. If man like even in college i felt like i accumulated stuff yeah and it was so pay- i moved so frequently in college like basically every six months and stuff like that yeah like back and forth and all around right so i was kind of nomadic but now that i've been settled in one spot for too long i'm i'm scared i, I there's there's times where i'm like i gotta get rid of things now because i'm gonna move eventually yeah and there's like decisions i make like buying an e-reader as opposed to buying 20 volumes of naruto where it's like yeah no i gotta prep for this we have so many boxes full of books i did not know we had this many books or how we ended up with so many like sage like has way more books than i thought he had yeah (laughs) not that that's a bad thing but just like Mm -hmm. yeah i think about that too anytime i'm like i should start collecting ps2 games because i have a playstation 2 podcast it's like i don't want to move all this shit no it's we're digital this is the all digital playstation 2 legally digital playstation 2 it's very interesting it's actually all physical games. I lied. I own all physical games for what I play. Even Rule of Rose, which is like $700. And I borrow um, I borrow them from yeah, him. We have yes. a little exchange program going on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. To make that work. So. So, yeah. <laughs> but I agree. Any, any other fun? Like, you're going to set up a garden? You're going to do something outside? Mm. You want to do, like, paint any rooms or something even? We are painting, some of the walls are beige. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, according to the interior design people I know, beige is not in anymore. Now gray is what's trending. Oh, yeah. I totally I totally agree with that. I'm a big fan of like grayscale in general. Yeah. I'm pro, I'm pro getting rid of the beige. Yeah, so so we are going to cover up. There's the the living room and the main hallway is beige. I think everything else. Well, the basement's also beige, but that's not really a priority right now. But yeah, everything else is is fine. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to stay as is. Um, Wasn't one of the rooms like a workout room or something? That was the basement. There there okay. was workout equipment in the basement. Did they leave that? No, I don't think they will. Okay, I I some some stuff ends up getting left. When yeah, move, it might. So. Yeah. I don't know. The last time we drove by, their grill was still in the backyard, and we were like, oh, you're going to, did we get a grill? <laughs> you're going to leave that behind? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, most of the time, if they're leaving it behind, it's because it's either really big and nice, or just junk, 
Like, <laughs> we left you yeah. our shitty grill. <laughs> yeah, I think we, when we moved, we left like a pool table, like when my parents moved for the first time, because it was just like, we cannot move this. <laughs> no. Um, so um, you get a pool table now. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I can think of, um, and this is probably not going to be anytime soon. This is probably going to be like a next year thing. Give me some time to save a hot tub in the backyard. I think hot tubs are, I think I would like fantastic. A hot tub. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever experienced a winter hot tub session. But I haven't. It is a unique well, experience. I have, but the hot tub was like indoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, oh. my mom's house. Oh, I mean, I mean the outdoor. Yeah, no, yeah. never outdoors. It's, um, I assume most people think it's unpleasant. It is just like you're in a hot tub normally. It's, <laughs> yeah, not, not, not cold. It's not weird at all. There's just snow on your head and you feel nothing. Like oh, it's, okay. It's fun. That's it's nice. like a very Russian like thing that. to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm excited for it. Like, I don't know. Anytime I go to like Cora and George's place, mm-hmm. I'm just so jealous that they could put a hole in the wall if they wanted to. Ah, I know. It's yeah. so liberating. I'm like, so excited. Oh my I'm God, you gonna... could change the door if you wanted. Yeah. I'm so jealous. I'm going to move in and I'm going to start putting dents in all the walls. Just because just I can. Yeah. Punch and drywall. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys aren't moving in with the intention of moving out. Like, this is not like a stop gap. Or are you, like, could this be a permanent spot and you guys have kids, they stay there? Mm, I don't think, it's not our forever home. You know how some people are like, oops, some people, you know, move into a house and they're like, this is it. This has mm-hmm. all the features we, features we want. This is like, this is like a good, like, starter house. Like, how I'm seeing it going is, like, we'll probably have our first kid in this house. And then at some point when that kid is a little older, we'll probably look for something bigger. Um, so, yeah, our, our plan pretty much follows that exact same thing. We yeah. are, the housing market in the U.S., for any international listener, listeners, is complete dog shit right it's now. It's garbo. Uh, you cannot buy shit. Yeah, there's just like constant bidding wars. Yes. Nothing is priced appropriately. It's insane. Interest rates are crazy. It's not good right now. And if you go and, and like look at a house and if you're like, hmm, this seems like a pretty big decision. Maybe I should like sleep on it. Maybe I should think on it for a little it's while. Gone. That's not allowed. You can't do that. Someone yeah, wasn't sleeping on it and they no. took it from you. Yeah, you have to go, go, like make your decision like basically day of, which I was like fuming about for the longest time until, you know, you, and when you find the right one, then you're like, okay, I am comfortable with this. And then you mm-hmm. can, you know, moving forward doesn't feel so stressful, but. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, yeah. But our hope is that we can buy a house like what everyone wants. So it's unfortunate that this is what we're going for. A small house in a nice neighborhood because yes. then you have a higher cap for resale, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously going to be difficult to get. Um, we do have a lot of resources with, between my family and Claire's family for improving, making renovations too. That's and really helpful, yeah. Our plan is to is to make money from the house if possible, like treat it not as some place that we're going to stay, so not really make decisions based off of what we want, but instead what is going to and net us a little bit of money so we can maybe have one kid there. And before that kid is like totally cognizant. Before they can put holes in the walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before they're like too old. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what that age is, but move out into like a, maybe a permanent house. I don't really feel like playing the real estate game of just jumping from house to house. No. I'd like to stay somewhere. 
Yeah. Because I want to do dumb stuff. <laughs> I want to make a bookshelf door. I want to make, you know, like a like a slide for no reason that goes to yeah. the basement. I want to be insane. I want to do stupid shit that is not going to increase the resale value. <laughs> you want to paint, paint Naruto murals on the walls. Mm -hmm. I want to put up like a pull-up bar outside or like a calisthenics little gym. Yeah. I want to do the like backyard how I want and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is a PlayStation 2 podcast, so uh, let's move <laughs> on to, um, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to keep this quick. Uh, Baldur's Gate, you should play it. It's like, it is, it is a lot of things that I know you would like. Um, I don't I know if there's it. any, what? I believe it. Oh, you believe it. Okay. I don't mm -hmm. need to convince you. Yeah. That's I'm not, not going to argue. I was worried that you might've been turned off by like the fact that it's a CRPG and it's like slightly more in depth, than, oh. but it's like you play Dragon Age, yeah, which is kind of a CRPG as well. Um, What's the C stand for? Computer. Oh, yeah. Who cares? It doesn't really mean anything. It's mm. like Japanese RPG, I guess. But okay. Um, I mean, it like vaguely means something. I think generally a computer RPG means that it's really fucking complicated. Uh, <laughs> but it's based off of D&D. Complicated role-playing game. A complicated role-playing game. Exactly. <laughs> it's based off D&D, &D, though. So you, you know the rules. Yeah. Like it, it is D&D 5th &D edition. Okay. Got it. It is. It, it's just that. Like you move, like movement and everything, it's all turn based. So it's not like super overwhelming. You can take your time with stuff. I love it. Fantastic. So much opportunity for role playing. So many branching decisions. I'm talking like Donald Trump for some reason. Um, got my, got my little okay signs going right now. Um, it's the best decision making game you've ever seen. Okay. <laughs> These are the best decisions. The oh best God, decisions right? you can make are in this game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's just so, like so many fun things. Like uh, like you come up to a problem and it's like, I could solve this in so many different ways. It's very fun. But yeah, I, I don't need to convince you too much. This no. is a PlayStation 2 podcast. Tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about Starfield, though. I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, Starfield. Let's, let's talk about it. I have one word. One word to sum up my Starfield experience, and that is... Todd. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Okay. Listen... I am used to playing. I love, I love my crusty PS2 games. I love my crusty PS3 games. So when you plot me in a world that is next-gen graphics, I cannot see what the fuck is going on. I cannot my, see. My brain, my brain cannot parse the details on the screen. I am so lost. How I am, many I am, fucking pixels are on the screen? There's too what? many. I can't see. I'm like, what is this? A sandwich? I feel like I'm getting lost in the pores of this bread. <laughs> I can't handle it. Why is this bread so porous? Why are there so many lighting filters on the screen? It hurts my eyeballs. God, um, I just wanted to go into the menu. Oh my god! Visually overwhelming for me. Um, yeah. Mechanics all over the fucking place. There's so, there's so many mechanics. I don't. I feel like I barely understand. Like like you have like your typical like inventory management. There's like a whole bunch of diseases and physically debilitating conditions they've added there's mm -hmm. starship fighting there's repairing starship repairing there's starship building there's outposts there's like all this crap so like if if you like to like know life a game it's probably a good game to do it with because you're gonna do a lot of things mm -hmm. um the only thing that i did not like so much so far was the like when they're like oh you can go you can explore any planet 
like you can just explore the planet and right and like look at like find like resources and like survey the planet right and you're like okay um mm. you just are like walking across like these flat barren plains and sometimes okay. there's a bush that you can tap a on <laughs> and if you tap a on enough bushes then you know that that bush is a bush <laughs> and then you move on <laughs> To these funky little deer guys that are <laughs> stomping around the woods. And if you scan enough of those, then you know that they're a funky little deer guy. And it's like, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? It kind of sounds like time. A Mass Effect 1. The, uh, yeah, it is. The yeah. rover missions. Yeah. yeah. Now, there are like locations you can find. And they're spread pretty far apart on these planets that are like, you know, fairly interesting dungeons. I don't have complaints about those, but the space in between is what's boring. Like, why am I spending hours of my life walking in this fake world when I could go outside and, and, and touch grass mm -hmm. and experience and identify you squirrels? You could walk up to your own bushes. Yeah, I could walk up to my own bushes and, and learn the same amount of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's a funky deer out there. Yeah. But there are like, there are populated settlements. There are like interesting NPCs and stuff. I, mm -hmm. I just somehow found the most boring content first. <laughs> I don't know mm -hmm. what that says about me. <laughs> but like my husband's out there like getting in like epic space battles and like has like the best ship in the game. And uh, I'm out okay. here like, whoa, where's, I can't find the last bush. I'll tell you what, Sage <laughs> does power game. If I he know does. anyone that power games... I mean, it, Sage is always ahead of me in any game I'm trying to. Play. Yeah, that's his, that's what he that's what he do. Yeah, it's like I'm like, here's me. I'm I'm leaving the first island and you know Tears of the Kingdom, and he's like, uh, I found all the deity uh, armor and stuff like that. Uh, here's a screenshot of my character right that's now. That's because he's meta gaming though. Like mm -hmm. he he'll go and he'll be like, what's the most broken? Tell me what the most broken stuff is right now, and then he'll and just go and get, get it? it. Yeah, yeah. I don't do that. I I like to bumble and fumble and mm -hmm. and grumble. Bumble, fumble, and grumble. Yes, all at the that same time. That is this podcast as well. Sure. Um, okay, I got a quick, got a quick yes. tale. Okay. I got to spin you a quick tale about this yes. float trip. Um, this is the float trip that you denied to be a part of. And I got to say, correct decision you made there. Really? Okay. So, okay. Me and you, mm -hmm. we are similar in that we are both very introverted. Oh, yes. Very introverted. But I think we both realize... That there's just like this internal clock that goes on where it's like, you can't say no to everything. You know, yeah. it's like you get asked to do something. You're like, mm, maybe not, maybe not tonight. You know, maybe I can't go out tonight, you know, but you can't say no too often. Otherwise you will end up without friends. Right. Um, <laughs> so this, this float trip came around and I was like, I have to say yes. Um, <laughs> because it's time. It's time for me to get out of my house and do something. Do I want to stay in and play Baldur's Gate 3? Yes. That's a given, though. I need to go outside and experience the world or something. Mm -hmm. So we did a float trip in the, uh, you probably know what river, right? Yeah. Not that one. Yes. No? The other one? Yeah, the other one. Okay. I think I know. Anyway. F further west. <laughs> the... <laughs> Oh, I would not have guessed that. Okay. Bleep that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, knew, I knew you thought the Mississippi. Yeah, I was first. thinking Mississippi, and then I was like, the Missouri River? 
And then you said further west. I was like, where the fuck is the Missouri River? I don't know. <laughs> so here was our situation. It was me, Claire, Cora, George, and someone. I'm not going to call him by his real name. I'll just call hmm. him something generic like Joshy. Joshy. Okay. His real name may or may not be Josh. Um, oh, shut <laughs> So anyway. It was us five, and what we did was we tied together our inner tubes with rope, and we tied some coolers that carried alcohol and snacks to this sort of grungle of (laughs) inner tubes. The grungle? Yeah, the grungle of inner tubes. Okay. Bundle? I don't know. What is it? The grungle? That's what a herd of inner tubes is called. Did you know that? It's called a grungle. It's called a grungle. Um... So everything's tied together with some rope. Not super tight, which ended up being a problem. Uh, I was offered, I was not offered to paddle. I interjected and insisted that I would be in charge of paddling as well. Because we had two paddles and I'm like, I need to have some sort of agency. You need to be in control. I need to to be able to help with this. I'm also not going to drink in general, so I might as well be paddling. Right. Um, And... It was a stagnant ass river, let me tell you. Oh no. It was not a float trip. It was a fucking struggle to paddle for six <laughs> hours trip. So <laughs> while you're carrying a bunch of dead weight with you, um, there's only a couple, you know, I was seething for most of it. Um seething. I was a little upset. Um why? Because it was, it was very frustrating to paddle oh. because I'm in an inner tube. And things aren't like tightly tied together. And there's a bunch of dead weight that is also very loud and drunk. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't care. It's fine. Uh, I had fun after the fact because it's funny that it happened. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's just a couple like moments that I think are were were funny. Uh, We ran into this uh, this this trio on a uh, on a canoe, which I got to say was like a fucking Ferrari compared to us. <laughs> this canoe was so much faster than us. They were like Lightning McQueen down the Striding. We, they were just gone instantly. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we, we stopped and talked with them a little bit. We traded them some alcohol for some weed. Um, okay. Which was a thing that happens, I guess, uh, on this river. Um, and they were they were nice. They stopped and talked for a little bit, and then they took off. They did a little burnout on their canoe, and then just <laughs> left us in their dust. Um, <laughs> when I say this was like six seven hours, I it was like six seven hours. We um, it was wait, like a wait, six wait, mile sorry. stretch. What happens when you have to pee? Do you just piss in the water? Do you yeah, just... you piss in the water. Okay, so you just kind of like flop out of your little inner tube, and you're like, all right, okay. Yeah, and then you, you could like hop back in. You could flop out. You could just. You know, stick your butt down a little bit too. I mean, I can't. I, I pissed do that. once. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and it was while we were, um, while we were. Well, I'm, I'll get to this. So we okay. had to, uh, we had to take a little like breather about halfway through. Yeah, and reassess the situation <laughs> because it was just the grungle was getting too loose. <laughs> it, <laughs> everything was flopping around, and it was just like hell to paddle. <laughs> Because it's like, I would paddle forward, get yanked back a little bit. 
paddle oh, forward, no. it yanked back a little bit. Like that sounds just, frustrating. And we're all just in fucking bumper cars because it's an inner. So I'm just paddling, get b- bumping off of Cora. Paddling, just like bumping off everybody. It's it was very unproductive. So me and my proxy, the only other person who had the paddle and also was not drinking because they had to paddle. Um, <laughs> the only sober, other sober person there. It was like it was George. We're gonna we're gonna reassess the okay. situation. Okay. So we uh, found a sand barge. We're like, okay, I'm gonna get out first, and I'm gonna let George get out. And I was like, okay, guys, because it's hard enough to get out of an air tube when you're sober. And these people were gone. <laughs> okay. I'm like, okay, guys, stay calm. I'm gonna hold. I was like, I'm gonna hold the inner tubes or whatever. George might help them out or whatever. Just you know, so we can. Because we don't want them flopping around, getting swept up into the... This was the one part that had like a current, by the way. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> uh, we don't want them, you know, falling out, losing stuff and all that. Because there was some loose stuff. Because um, mm-hmm. we had, you know, the drinks and then like the one bag that had like all the stuff in it. So I'm like, okay, everybody stay calm. Cora, not to name names. Cora uh, <laughs> jostled something trying to get out. And then we lost the uh, the Mr. Beast Feastables, which was like the treat that everyone was very excited to try. No. So she screamed, not the Mr. Beast Feastables. And then she is, she's very intoxicated, but a competent swimmer and went after them. Um, and I was a little worried, but I think it was fine. She's like, I got to get the Mr. Beast Feastables. And I am trying to get everyone to stay calm. Please stay calm. <laughs> Joshy and Claire, please stay calm. But Joshy. He hears that the Mr. Beast Feastables are gone. And he goes, what? And he like flips out of the inner tube. And for some reason, he was the most intoxicated by far, but also oh, the person no. that we trusted with the bag of stuff that we needed to survive. <gasps> no. Um, so he flips out. He goes after Mr. Beast Feastables. I see floating down the river, the bag of all the stuff. No. All the keys, the no. phones. No. Everything we need. Oh so my I'm God. Like, I gotta fucking get this bag. So I just... <laughs> I left George with the inner tubes and I went after this bag. What and was I got Claire? it. She was sitting down like a good girl. Was she um, being well behaved? Okay. She was being well behaved. Okay. She was also very intoxicated. Okay. Um, I secured the bag before it got like too hairy. It was in the current a little bit and it was going in a direction that could not be recovered. I grabbed it. The zipper was unzipped and I'm like, please, for the love of fucking God, tell me the phone and the keys are in here. And they were, so it was fine. Okay. Yeah, that was the that was that was my float trip. We made it back literally right before it got dark. Oh, damn. <sighs> okay. So, do you want to go on another one? I think I'm good. Okay. I think I can say no next time. Maybe, maybe not that river, and maybe you don't have to paddle next time. I like pet. Here's the thing. I would the the frustration came from the inner tube paddling. Okay. Like if we were in like a better sort of setup it really would have been fine like i would have been perfectly content but it was like the frustration of paddling that resulted in like one fifth of the power that you would normally generate from a paddle mm-hmm. it was maybe you needed difficult. more paddles maybe yeah maybe see part of the reason why i declined was that so so you have already mentioned that we were both introverts and you started talking about this timer and i thought i knew which timer there's there's multiple timers when you're an introvert well maybe for everybody everybody Mm -hmm. has multiple timers anyway 
But you were mentioning that I have to say yes to something timer. There is also the social, the energy to socialize has run out timer. Mm, And mm -hmm. why I was like, I think I'm going to pass on this one is because if we're just like hanging out at like someone's house at any time, I can be like, oh, hey, my social battery is done. It's dead. I have to leave. Sorry. If we're stuck on a river together, tied in a, in a in a, a grungle, you can't escape the grungle. You're stuck on that sucker. <laughs> I'm gonna cut rest. myself loose from this grungle. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> cut myself loose. I'm going on my own. Let me out of this grungle. Um, yeah. So that's why I was like, I, you know what? Sage and I are both are both introverted, and so we were like, mm, just just in case, just to play it safe this time, we're just gonna say no. But. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I went. I thought it was fun. Yeah. No, it sounds like, you know, hearing your experience has actually made me kind of want to do it just to see if something stupid happens. Something stupid definitely happened. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell you. (laughs) I would do it again, but I would need to be in a canoe or something. Yeah. All right. We're making it into the topic before we hit an hour. That's great. (laughs) Just before we hit an hour. Just before. (laughs) All right. I'll let you take take it away as we move into the background information. Their little PSA. Yeah, so with all of our random bullshit out of the way, before we get started with discussing the actual game, just to warn you, sort of like our Haunting Ground episode, you might want to get your little gamers out of the room, even though we've already been cussing and talking about being drunk mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever. I feel like we need a better word because our audience, I like, I really like referring them to them as the little gamers, even though mm-hmm. based off of our statistics, they are at least our age, but probably older than us. That doesn't so, mean that they can't have little gamers, though. I mean, I want to call them little gamers. Oh, they are little gamers. Yeah, okay. I want to call our audience little gamers. Uh, whatever. You're, you're, they can be the littler gamers. Okay. If you have any you little, might, little gamers. Okay. If you have any littler gamers, littler than you, you might want to take them out of the room for this one. Um, <laughs> this game, and therefore our discussion of this game, covers topics like physical, psychological, and sexual abuse against minors and adults. Uh, animal abuse, self-harm, and suicide. Um, if you yourself find that any of that content is like overly disturbing for you, you might want to skip this episode. And if you don't like that sort of content, you can check out some of our other episodes where mm-hmm. we cover games that aren't nearly as dark and, and we're more happy-go-lucky about everything. Mm-hmm. So check it out if you want. I gotta thank you for this because I am not mature enough to include something like this into an episode (laughs) however if you do decide to skip this episode uh for the algorithm's sake just please leave it running until it completes you know no don't (laughs) listen (laughs) your mental health comes first okay all right but our algorithm is also like important maybe it's like a firm number two okay (laughs) (laughs) um okay so moving into background information surrounding rule of rose Rule of Rose is the second and final game developed by Japanese development team Punchline Interactive. Wait, Incorporated. That's probably what that means. Um, Anyway, prior to this game, they released Chulip in 2002 for the PlayStation 2, which was ported later for, you know, outside of Japan. Um, And we covered in a previous episode. So uh, go check out the Chulip episode in general. Like, not even if you're interested. I'm putting a gun to you right now. Check out the Chulip episode. I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing else to say. Not if you're interested, not if you find this episode interesting, go check out that episode because Chulip is a crazy game that more people need to know about. Dare I say it? A great game. I don't know if it's a great game. Um, (laughs) You ranked it higher than I did. 
I did, but I didn't. I don't know if I, I maybe I said it was good. I don't know what I said. I cannot stand by anything I previously said on this podcast. Okay. Let that be known. Um, <laughs> that'll be fun when we do the ranking, when we build yeah. off the ranking that we did. Oh, anyway. man. <laughs> oh, did I tell you that my father in law decided to listen to the ranking episode we did? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if we said anything absolutely ridiculous. I don't think we I did. No, I think okay. the most ridiculous thing I mentioned was that all of the, all of our top PS2 games had big old badonkadonks <laughs> or badongas in them or whatever. Okay. Um, but that was probably the wildest thing any of us said. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, check out the Chulip episode if you're interested. Uh, the development of this game started off with Punchline setting out to make a psychological horror game that focused on the mysterious and misunderstood nature of young girls, amongst other dark and seldom covered topics in gaming. This was uh, initially a Sony computer, this was like a second party game in Japan exclusively. Uh, Sony published it in Japan and then decided not to publish it outside of Japan, so in North America, it was published by Atlas, and in Europe, it was published by 505 Games. Sony patched on the publishing in other reasons, in other regions, because it, they felt like it wasn't in sync with their uh, corporate image. Because the game is pretty, pretty dang dark and disturbing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, it didn't take long for a, a moral panic to spin up prior to the game's Western release. The source of the outrage seems to be from a panorama. I realized I never like actually comprehended what that word was until just now. Uh, panorama publication, which is uh, an Italian publication. Um, and they levied a bunch of like blatantly false allegations at the game, uh, mm. taking a lot of sections out of context, stating that it was like, I think they said stuff like, like you play as a child that gets buried alive and there's like a lot of like... Yeah upskirt shots and stuff like that and that your goal is maybe to kill children i don't know if they said that they just said a lot of things that weren't true like they made it seem like it was like a sexual thing mm -hmm. and it really is we'll get into it but it really isn't there's like there's stuff there's, that's implied there's stuff that's implied but it's more like you know like uh the i don't want to say the more typical thing of like abuse from adults towards children which is you know Mm -hmm. bad right but not like completely out of left field i feel like as as far as like a topic to discuss in fiction um, no absolutely not but anyway they a lot of blatantly false allegations that just <laughs> set storm uh amongst the uh i don't know politicians and stuff at the time in the uh, european union ultimately led to the game getting canceled in the uk as well as australia and new zealand which uh, is a bummer. I don't think it was like a, because it released in Europe, like outside of that. I think it mm. was a publisher decision to pull the UK launch on 505 Games part. And I think that the distributor in Australia and New Zealand didn't want to be associated with it. So yeah, it's, it's a controversial game. Received fairly mixed scores upon its release, currently sitting at a 59 on Metacritic, uh, although it has a 87 user rating, so definitely much more well-received, like, after the fact, I guess, and pretty much everybody universally praised the story. There were some people who didn't like it, but the story was praised, the gameplay was criticized. That's basically every review, and gotcha. that's probably what we're going to say as well. Yeah. Can I just say, it yeah. is so, so, so frustrating 
to for like like moral panic situations oh yeah for, for it to be coming from people who don't who don't even take the time to like engage with the material and like really understand what's going on. Oh yeah. I mean, I like think it's it was, always a knee jerk reaction. It was, I think stated by the people complaining that they had not played the game. And it was like stated in a way that was like, you say that like, it's not an issue. Like this is like, I'm like, this question is meant to be like, I gotcha. Right. Like, you haven't played the game. Therefore you can't be discussing it. But they're like, yeah, you know, I heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> right that's yeah, enough like a, uh, it's so yeah. weird yeah but that's nothing new people people do this still i mean right anyway let's get into uh time we spent with the game starting with our history with this game or series or in this case developer like i said before we played tulip i did not know this game existed until tulip um i knew the very general premise like i knew a couple things about it i knew there mm -hmm. was a dog I knew it was based around like school children, basically, and it was a horror game. And that was basically it. Uh, what about you? Um, I had watched like a long time ago. I had watched a video essay discussing it, but it was long enough ago where I forgot, you know, like all the details about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just knew that like the story and like the content were incredibly disturbing. And I know it was about like British school children or not school children they're orphans but i my perception was that they were school children yeah me too so uh in preparation for this episode i played i played through the game up until like the second to last the, like the second to last real chapter i guess there's mm -hmm. like that bonus chapter for right. the true ending um so i played up to the point where you have to run around the entire orphanage and kill two of each enemy I was not fucking prepared in any way. Like by that point I had burned through all of my healing and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And the entire time I was playing the game, there were multiple points where I almost, almost quit. Um, mm -hmm. And the entire time I'm like, I don't know if I really need to be playing this. Like we'll get into the gameplay a little bit later, but like, it's so nothing. It's like the same thing throughout the entire game bosses standard enemies it's just a lot of bullshit and it's very tedious and unforgiving uh, yeah so i i tapped out at that point so i missed out on the final boss and that was i think the only thing gameplay wise i missed out on uh i watched the rest of it on youtube so what about you morgan um i played alongside a guide up until the mermaid boss fight mm -hmm. um which is a very tedious boss fight and then yes. I, I didn't I didn't beat that boss from there. I just decided that um, my experience would probably be better and mm -hmm. I would probably be able to digest the game easier if I just watched someone else play it instead of like getting frustrated myself. Yes, we'll get so. to the mermaid boss fight later. But that was also where I almost quit because uh, yeah. it is so long and so tedious and so unforgiving and annoying. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that's that's the time we spent with the game. Let's get into some very important questions. I'm actually very curious as to what you have to say to some of these. Um, so to start, Morgan, hmm. Brown from Rule of Rose or Huey from Haunting Ground? Oh, that's like You can how? only save one. The other one is going to oh, get Oh, no. Well, one of them killed. already got spoilers, but all right. <laughs> one of them is already gone. Um. You don't know which unless you play both games. Well, never mind. Unless I mean, you play one game. 
Oh, it's hard. It's so hard. You know, I mean, I feel so bad, but Huey, I don't even want to make this decision. I figured you would go Huey, and I respect that. But okay. honestly, I thought I would go Huey as well, because I, I put down this question before I beat the game. I really like Brown a lot, even though it's kind of like it, like I'm creating a narrative almost in my head. Like, I don't know if the game gives you that much, but this game is much more centered around Brown than mm-hmm. Haunting Ground is centered around Huey, if yeah. that makes sense. I mean, Brown, moments with Brown did make me tear up and getting introduced to Huey and Haunting Ground also made me tear up yeah like the little like music box soundtrack mm-hmm. oh it crushed Very my good. heart but you know what you know what i'm gonna say my answer to the next question you have here is going to line up with the dog i picked okay yeah <laughs> if that one makes more sense. thing about the dog though yeah i feel like they're they're very visually distinct yeah they do they function very similarly but they're like you know huey is like a guard dog he is a German Shepherd. He's a white German Shepherd. He's a protector. Right. Both of them are a source of emotional support and comfort, which is also like critical mm-hmm. to these characters that yes. they're with. So they're but both incredibly important. To my point, uh Hugh, or Brown is just like a Labrador of sorts. Like mm-hmm. and I feel like his like the docile nature of a dog like that kind of makes it even like harder to see bad things happen to him yeah than it is to Huey oh, because yeah. I don't know you see Huey and you're like Huey's gonna be in the line of fire like Huey's right. a soldier but you have to accept this yeah yeah you see Brown and you're like Brown's like a family dog he wouldn't hurt anybody you know right yeah yeah Brown Huey is like the sort of dog you would let stand between you and a threat Brown is the sort of dog where it's like I'm gonna put myself between this thing yeah, that's yeah, gonna yeah, hurt yeah. us and brown like i'm mm-hmm. going to protect brown with my life sort of mm-hmm. thing yeah which i think is like why i'm more drawn to brown because it's like bad things happen to brown throughout this story mm-hmm. and it's like i feel worse for him whereas in uh Hauntigrad, it kind of feels like it almost unless i'm misremembering it almost feels like huey could have been like a late addition like i don't know if there's any like critical huey <laughs> he moments. does parkour. He does parkour off of that statue to get like an item or something. Oh, do you yeah, remember yeah. that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> He's very athletic. Um, yeah, Brown would not be doing that shit. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, Brown's got a sniffer, and that's about it. The moment with Brown that shattered my heart more so than his death, actually, that that destroyed me and actually made me like tear up was the the point after. Jennifer gets all beat up and she's like tied to the pole and she's asking Brown to help her and he can't get up because he got beat up too. And so Mm. he like has to like lay there and you have to call him multiple times before he can get up to help you. And I was like, right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't do this to me. (laughs) Okay. My next question, very general. And there is Mm -hmm. a third answer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fight or flight? Fight. Square up, bitch. Me too. I'm honestly, I'm a fight. The few times that Claire has tried to scare me, I have oh, noticed no. that I like I like lean into it. I, I I just like as opposed to like backing off. It's like a <laughs> like I don't know. Like I'm I'm <laughs> I'm ready to attack almost. Oh, uh, 
Yeah. My instinct is just, I, my knee-jerk reaction is to scream in terror. <laughs> yeah. And then my heart starts to pound, and I'm like, all right, let's go. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that I, like, do, like, a, a fight-freeze thing. Where, like... Like, you take one swipe and then stop? I don't know, like, there's been moments where, like, something, like, let's say something, like, there was, like, a... Uh, Okay, this isn't exactly how like this situation went down, but just for example, just to illustrate mm-hmm. my point. Um, when I was in uh, you know college and stuff, we were doing things, we were setting up lights on a ladder. I noticed a little swaying on, with someone on the ladder. I took like two steps and stopped, but the situation was not like resolved. Like it's not like I took two steps, noticed that everything was fine, mm-hmm. and then I was like, okay, I can stop. It was like I took two steps, stopped, and then it took a second and the situation was resolved. Like, I don't know if I really comprehended that everything was fine. I think I just went to do something and stopped. Like, I don't know. Anyway, that's, we'll see. Nothing has, there's been no danger that has befallen me that I've had to no. react in a uh, fight or flight manner. But we'll see if, if I upset any of the Sonic fan base and they try to come get me, <laughs> then we might find out. Oh, hopefully not, right? We'll see. Okay. How many Sonic games do we have left to cover? You you are so desperate. You are so desperate to get in a fight with those Sonic fans. Come at me. You're trying to egg them on every chance you get. I'm going to start a fight club with Sonic fans. Oh, no. Um, I can take them. Maybe. Actually, maybe. <laughs> um, maybe. In a, okay, anyway. Um, Morgan, sp- mm. speaking of taunting Sonic fans. Oh, no. Uh, I don't even know what this question is necessarily. I, you know, I, that's what I was going to... The first time when I saw this question in your notes, I was like, what the fuck is this supposed to mean? What is this supposed to mean? What's this about? Physical bullying versus... I didn't even say or. Yeah. Psychological bullying. What, like, which I would like to receive? <laughs> like, what? I don't, like, I don't what know. What do you mean? How do you want to take the question? I mean, I guess, like, which could I, like, endure better? Probably psychological. Really? Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to get. You know, you can call me like a little bitch twenty four seven. Let's imagine I don't give we're a back shit what you think. Yeah, we're, we're back in school. All right. Yeah. Would you rather have a bully who I had is one. like <laughs> physically hurting you? Oh no. Or psychologically hurting you? Okay, actually, hold on. <laughs> I I wouldn't call him a bully, but we had a friend in our friend group who did on multiple occasions kick me punch me and slam my hand in a locker not necessarily on purpose i was just like roughhousing i don't know how to describe it actually no wait i did i had i had two friends that would roughhouse with me one of them we would beat each other up on the bus for fun that was we've discussed (laughs) cynthia's behavior before on this podcast Um, and then the other one was logan logan was who would you know he, he would try his like karate moves on me and i'm like stop don't do that i'm fragile (laughs) and then he was the one who like slammed my hand in the locker oh my god and then i think i got really mad and i hit him because i was like what the fuck logan um but that wasn't like there was no like malicious nothing malicious it was just like stupid idiot roughhousing right yeah but But i don't want someone to come at me with like the intent to physically hurt me like a bully that way no thank you yeah i don't know i like i think for the most part, I'm more afraid of the psychological bullying. Like, as we'll get into in this game, like being purposely excluded 
and stuff like that. Like that scares me more than someone mm-hmm. trying to like punch me or something. I, I would say that this is mostly this is a fairly like gendered thing as well. Like I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I feel like boys are more prone to the, you know, roughhousing, physical bullying, like trying to dominate each other physically. Whereas I feel like women or girls were are more about like it's it's the way we're socialized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They hurt people socially almost. Yeah. Right. Making lashing out physically for a girl is like not mm-hmm. not something we're socialized to do. So instead, girls are more are 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 socialized to be more passive aggressive. That's how that's how mm-hmm. you get your point across. Instead mm-hmm. of getting loud, getting big, you just you just be passive aggressive and maybe a little bit manipulative to yes. get your way. And as a girl who has received that sort of bullying from other women in my life, I'm like, what, what the fuck are you going to do to me? <laughs> like, bitch. Like, you know, you can you can try and play the the manipulative and excluding game. I don't care. I don't want to mm-hmm. be around you anyway. I guess I guess the goal with the, the response to psychological bullying is to I mean, and I know like as a human, you're like a social creature. So like prolonged isolation can like really suck. But part part of like the defense for psychological bullying is to be like, I don't give a shit. And I'm very good at not giving a shit if right. I have to. That's true. <laughs> I, I get it. I, I I feel like I haven't dealt with honestly either. Like I have never had like a a bully who's like tried to hurt me. Or like, mm-hmm. like an older, I don't know, I don't know, neighbor or something that's like, I don't, I don't even know like when, when these situations would occur. But yeah, that's never really been a thing. And I've never had anyone who's like tried to exclude me from a group or do anything like psychological bullying, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know. But like the psychological bullying, I feel like worries me more. And it's something that I would get more angry with if I saw it happening, I think. Oh, yeah. I think it's because it's more invisible. Like, if someone's, like, beating you up, (laughs) you can, you know, and you're in school or something, you can be like, Mm -hmm. they're attacking me. (laughs) Right. And, I mean, unless unless it's, like, a bad situation at school, you'll probably get help, I guess. Um, Whereas if you're, like, someone is excluding me and you know, turning my friends against me and stuff like that. It's like, you can't really like, that's a harder case to argue, I guess, to yeah. like get, get help. Right. No, it, it is. And it, and it feels stupid to like, because there's a part of you that, and depending if there's any like gaslighting involved, you might be like, oh, I don't know if they like really mean it. And like, you don't want to be like the mm-hmm. whiny one. You don't want to be the one who's like a tattletale or um is like making a big thing out of nothing mm-hmm. like it's it's hard it's harder to identify as the victim sometimes mm-hmm. and like well like <laughs> i know i kind of mentioned already but like uh, i i guess the closest thing that i had to a high school bully was the same person that was also your wife's high school bully um and, and which was sort of like a mean friend like a weird situation it, yeah, a, a toxic a toxic friend, uh, well, in your wife's case, I think someone who was pretending to be her friend, um, who was who had an agenda to isolate her and make her and, you know, like isolate me from from her um, and like ruin our friendship and ruin my like romantic relationships. I was, you know, I don't know. And just. Mm-hmm. um. It, undermine both of our self-confidence 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was a lot. And it was such a, like, in, in psychological bullying, I guess, can be, like, such a slow progression. Because it was, like, a couple years <laughs> that we were, like, dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, once you experience it, I guess, then you're, like, oh, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. Nuh-uh. You're and to, to me. To your point of, like, just ignore it and stuff like that, I felt like when I came into that situation, it was very easy for me to say that because as an outsider, I sort of was able to recognize how little power this person held. Yeah. When it's well, like, and then who cares? when we did ignore her, bam, it was fixed. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. It's it's but weird. Yeah. yeah. It, it also helped that we like had each other, though. Like if I did not have another friend to like pivot to, then I think i would have been lost for longer no i think you're right and that's kind of my point against the i would choose being punched over being excluded or something yeah like i would rather be beaten up and still have friends as opposed to being fine but having no friends like Mm. or being excluded and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like that seems much worse to me yeah anyway okay therapy session over playstation 2 podcast (laughs) time yes um (laughs) we should do like a pie chart of like everything we discuss on this episode and see how small the, the game. game discussion is. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into campaign and concept. Uh, mm-hmm. Just this overall segment about the story. So I want to start with the opening cutscene because it's a fairly long cinematic. It's like seven minutes, which I did not realize until I looked it up on YouTube. Um, and it gives us a fairly good introduction to each of the characters. Oh, I guess I should say, I'm going to bundle in the opening cinematic with the manual's sort of like preface to the story. Uh, Cause they have like a, like a, here's all the characters and stuff like that. Like here's Jennifer. She likes dogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, but they give like a brief description on like the main essential characters. So in this opening cutscene, we get introduced to, the people we're going to be talking about for the next hour and a half or whatever. Uh, Jennifer, our main character, and Brown, her dog companion. Diana, Meg, and Eleanor, who are like the leaders of the group of children that bully Jennifer throughout the story. Um, We see Wendy and Amanda, who are these sort of like other children, not directly associated with the people bullying jennifer kind of in amanda's case but like wendy's like nice to jennifer throughout the story and is kind of like her only like human friend almost um Mm -hmm. she's like a sickly girl always dressed in white uh amanda is like a overweight yes chunky overweight pudgy she is like meant to be a punching bag character like she's meant to appear as like the obvious target for bullying i think like she's used and abused throughout the entire story by these people taken advantage of, made to do like grunt work and stuff like that. Yeah. She's like a follower. I, I don't even know. I guess she's younger. I don't really know what the story is. She's we'll, like we'll a character. We'll talk more about Amanda later. Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about Amanda later. Uh and then the the manual calls him a mysterious man. Uh, but I'm just gonna call him Gregory because that's his name. Um <laughs> And we see him briefly. He like grabs Jennifer. And I got to say, based on the intro cinematic, that grabbing Jennifer thing in particular, I assumed that this was going to be another stalker game where like you would have someone following you around and stuff. 
Yeah, he he does seem like he would he would play a bigger role than he does because his role actually yeah. isn't. It's important, but it's he's not that. essential. But yeah, yeah, but it's not that big. Mm-hmm. He shows up just a handful of times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You'd think that he would be like he almost is set up to be like the main like enemy, which in some ways it's not totally an act. I don't know. It's like I assume that he'd be chasing me around this orphanage and stuff like that but that's not necessarily the case but yeah and then uh another like important tease that we get is a scene with wendy and an unknown young girl about sure kiss i get like one of the themes of the story is like homosexual relationships amongst children lesbian i don't know the best way to say this <laughs> uh or the most poetic way to say this but like a lesbian relationship from like young children uh so like girls in love um that's a theme with two different character situations i guess diana and meg as well yes yes they have a i was kind of confused about theirs yeah so meg is yeah we'll get into it but meg is interested in diana but yeah so we see wendy and a girl about to kiss um i just like what were your first impressions from the cinema i know you saw a while ago like you mentioned earlier but like like me, did you have any misconceptions about the game based off of this or anything like that? No, no, I don't think I had any misconceptions because I remembered enough, enough fragments from that video yeah. essay I watched a while ago to know like, oh, the, it's mainly about the the girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta say, it scared me shitless. I was not excited because <laughs> there's like a montage of like abuse towards Jennifer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of like rats getting shoved in her face and foots in her face and other insects in her face and just a bunch of nasty stuff happening yeah i was not excited i was watching it on like the other side of the room trying to like (laughs) ground myself in reality like i'm in i'm in my office right now and everything's fine Uh, yeah (laughs) i want to do a thing that we don't normally do we don't normally like in great detail discuss like beat for beat what happens in a game um story-wise but i want to do a recap of the story as it's presented in the game and then do a like canonical like the actual timeline of events right chronological yeah like because it's presented in a very like metaphorical Mm -hmm. symbolic way and it's out of order it's disjointed yep how do you want to go about this do you want to do do you want to do every other uh sure all right i'll start you might have to suffer through how i wrote some of these um try to do it very briefly so the game's broken up into how many chapters less than 12 chapters <laughs> i think it's 11 chapters anyway but each chapter is fairly self-contained and kind of just is like its own it's like a little story that's meant to like i guess represent something that happened to jennifer as a child so yeah we start with uh march 1930 they're all in the 1930s this chapter is titled little princess uh and it's jennifer being led to the orphanage by a young boy she meets on the bus chapter ends with uh kids pushing jennifer into a coffin taking it away and spurring much controversy in europe based off yeah that one scene that is just being burying her alive yeah but she's not buried alive she's taken away and they dunk a bunch of water on her head yeah they did that too it was uh it's creepy yeah uh april in april of 1930 we have the unlucky Cloverfield chapter. Jennifer awakens on an airship and is tasked with finding a butterfly by the aristocrats of the Red Crayon. 
In the end, our butterfly is not accepted, and the aristocrats punish Jennifer by forcing Amanda to poke us with a rat tied to a stick. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's... <laughs> also, Amanda, at first, doesn't in, this, in this scene, yeah, she, she doesn't want to. She's visually upset. And then she starts to kind of, like, maniacally laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, And, like, takes pleasure in it when the aristocrats start to egg her on. Mm-hmm. It is, like, a thing. It seems like she strikes me as a character who wants to be accepted, and... Mm-hmm. Maybe not inherently mean, like she doesn't want to do this, but her desire to be accepted kind of like supersedes that a little bit, I guess. And as she's being like, kind of, she's in this community now, she's more open to doing the thing, I guess. I Yeah. She's exhibiting, what is, oh, what is that? Um, There's like a term uh, for it. Anyway. Is it bystander? No, it's it's no. it's like a gang mentality thing. Like, yeah, uh, anyway. not anonymity because you can see who she is. Yeah, but you can see her. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Uh, but yeah, that's uh April in May. We have uh Sir Peter in this chapter. Starts with Amanda trying to apologize in a very creepy way on top of the blimp, and then the aristocrats for that month task Jennifer with finding Wendy's pet rabbit, uh, Peter. And after we return Peter, Jennifer is promoted and Amanda is demoted and we inflict Amanda with the same stick, uh, rat on a stick thing that she did to us. But uh, this time the rat's dead and covered in maggots. Is this also, this is also the first boss fight, isn't it? Where we fight Hoffman? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't write that down, but that's- I didn't recognize it was him until like after Mm -hmm. I finished watching the playthrough of the game. I was like, wait a minute, that first boss was him? Yeah, there's only a handful of adults. Yeah. There's Hoffman, uh, the maid, who I think also died in this chapter. I don't really know. Mm, Yeah, she might have. There's one scene where she gets like drug away and dragged off, yeah. Beaten and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think she is dead. Anyway. July 1930. (laughs) The Bird of Happiness. In this chapter, Meg and Diana kill Eleanor's pet bird to get a reaction out of her. Jennifer seemingly takes the blame. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is like a trio of chapters that you can approach in any order based off of like how you pick up these storybooks. And they all kind of center around one of the three like leaders of this aristocrat club that's bullying Jennifer. Uh, So this first one centers around Eleanor and her pet bird that she has. She's pitched as like the quiet one, whereas Meg is like the smart one and Diana's like the leader, uh, to put Mm -hmm. it simply. I assume Eleanor is like younger and stuff too. But uh, next chapter, Mermaid Princess. Uh, in this chapter, alludes to Hoffman, the caretaker that we mentioned earlier, uh, sexually abusing one of the older girls who we don't see outside of this chapter. I believe her name is Clara, uh, and possibly Diana as well. And that was in August. That was in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, September of 1930, we have the Goat Sisters. This chapter focuses on a love letter written by Meg for Diana. Diana uses this as an opportunity to enrage Meg by making her believe that Jennifer intercepted the letter and tried to destroy it. Meg stuffs Jennifer in an onion bag and has the other children drop bugs inside of it. This, what did the letter say? I don't remember. It was just like a love letter or something. Oh, okay. Um, I think at one point Diana's like reciting it because she already read it. Mm. You know, she didn't care. Uh, she just wanted to make Meg mad at Jennifer. Uh, you know. But that would also imply that she doesn't care about Meg. She doesn't care about Meg. Well, okay then. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, she's like, because in the, in the bird chapter, we see her messing with Eleanor as well. Like, she is 
doing really mean things to her closest friends, mm -hmm. um, which we'll get into like all the bullying dynamics in another section, but it's just another instance of that. Um, I got to say, this is probably the, I don't know what the most like disgusting thing that they did to Jennifer was, but this is up there where she's like stuffed in like this big, like burlap bag. And there's just like a tube that they're like dropping insects down. Oh, and also I think it's during this chapter, you might find some of Meg's notes and find that a lot of her notes are like, yeah, I'm figuring out how to make new torture devices. Yes. Yeah, for the I, games, for the club. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I'm not sure like, because a lot of the stuff that happens throughout the game, I'm like, uh, is this a metaphor? Or did this happen? Like some of the stuff happened in like real life, quote unquote, but mm -hmm. Some of it is definitely a metaphor for things that have happened. And I don't know if like the torture devices are like a metaphor for things that... Mm, I don't think I don't they know. are. I think the boss fights are metaphors. The boss fights are metaphors. And a lot of the level, the, the airship specifically is one giant like metaphor. Right. The airship is a metaphor. This is all taking place on an airship. I think we mentioned that. Um, mm -hmm. Except for like the very beginning and the very end. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Because hmm. to me, I assume that like the... Maybe like poking someone with a rat on a stick is probably like, that's probably rooted in reality. And I assume that other moments of like torturing are rooted in reality. So maybe there is like a, maybe she was into like torturing people, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, next. Yeah. Next month chapter, the gingerbread house. Uh, in this chapter, we go into a, into the house of a farmer named Gregory. We get glimpses into uh a room where he's contemplating suicide uh he locks us in a ba in a basement at one point and then we're freed by wendy uh we give her a stuffed bear in return and she gives us a little brooch brooch mm -hmm. brooch brooch i think okay <laughs> i am a man i don't know how to say these <laughs> words uh she gives us a little brooch wendy names the bear joshua which is the name that gregory was referring to jennifer by October of 1930, Rag Princess Sews. Uh, Joshua the bear is now missing, and the aristocrats are searching for it. Jennifer finds Amanda off by herself beating a stuffed doll that looks like a small boy with a stick. And you get just, I think you get like just the briefest glimpse of the small stuffed boy doll. Mm -hmm. And I think it might be wearing a red brooch. I think it is Jennifer. I think that that's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jennifer figures out in this encounter that it was Amanda who took the bear. Jennifer returns the bear and then is promptly accused of stealing it by Amanda and then mm. is punished just yeah. based on Amanda's word, I guess. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's fun. Mm -hmm. I think this was one of the longest chapters, if I'm remembering. Yeah, it right. I think you're right. This one was a pain in the ass. Oh, and, and this one, I'll say it now because I forgot. The final fight took me down to like below the health threshold where you start to limp. I had mm -hmm. a limp my ass all the way around the ship to finish oh, it. Oh no. It was it took maybe like seven minutes. I don't know. Ugh. I don't know if that's accurate or inaccurate, but it was a pain in the ass. That's probably an exaggeration, but yeah. <laughs> um okay, next chapter, uh November 1930, the funeral. We are we return to the orphanage for this chapter. The aristocrats put a bounty out on Jennifer and then on Brown. We see a young Jennifer discover that they've killed Brown in uh the final like sort of climax of the chapter and maybe of the game i don't know if this counts as the climax of the game we see that they've killed brown and uh wendy turns out to be the leader of the aristocrats it was her the whole time 
Jennifer lashes out and slaps Wendy, like punches her a couple times or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Lindy, uh, Wendy leaves the orphanage. So Wendy was trying to uh, get rid of Brown and just be friends with Jennifer again, I guess. It's kind of, that's what we're meant to take away from that. But yeah. Yep. Uh, December 1930, Stray Dog and the Lying Princess. Wendy returns to the orphanage disguised as a boy alongside Gregory. Gregory is shirtless, bruised, and behaving like a beast. Gregory kills everyone in the orphanage and Jennifer is forced to fight him. Uh, here we get the bad ending and the good ending. The bad ending is happens if you shoot Gregory with the gun that Wendy gives you. Uh, and then you get an ending where a child laughs at you and text pops up dunking on Jennifer for being all alone and the credits <laughs> roll. Uh, at yep. this point, Clayton says he threatens that oh. if he got the sending, he would have snapped the disc. <laughs> oh, yeah. that I had to look it up. Like, because I did, obviously, I was watching a playthrough yeah. and they had the good ending, which is the real right. ending. Yes. Um, I don't even know if it's like good and bad ending. It feels like... The, the satisfying and the unsatisfying? Uh, yeah, it feels like getting punked and then getting the actual ending of the story. Because uh, this whole story feels like it's kind of meaningless unless you don't get the real ending. Um, yeah. But it's so dumb. This is so dumb. Anyway, yeah, I would. You did also specify that it's worse than scale. Much worse than scale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, good ending. But then, yeah, but then we have the good ending where if you give, sorry, the quote unquote good ending, where if you give Gregory the gun, he kills himself, and then you unlock the real final chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this final chapter, bonus chapter, I don't know. Uh, we play as a young Jennifer back in the orphanage on a seemingly normal and happy day. We travel back to the uh, shed where we found Brown's collar at the beginning of the game. We give that same collar to a young puppy Brown. And the game ends with Jennifer closing the door on the shed. And then we are left thinking, what happened? I don't know. I'm curious, like, how do you feel about the game's approach to storytelling? It's all very symbolic, scattered. Did you pick up on, like, everything that was happening? Was there some parts that kind of went over your head? Yeah, yeah, I would say there were some, well, so it it was also kind of hard because, so I played like, like the, like the intro chunk of the game and then like weeks, like weeks went by before mm-hmm. I picked it up again and then played up to where I got frustrated with the mermaid boss fight and then watch videos. So there, like there's chunks on the beginning that I'm still like very fuzzy on because mm-hmm. I played them a long time ago. Um, uh, I, it, it's hard to explain because I think. Part of me is frustrated with how fragmented the delivery of information is because I feel like you can't really appreciate this story until you have all the pieces and you're able to analyze it on your own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way the game drip feeds you information and also with like its pacing problems and sort of like the tediousness of playing the game um, it sort of like detracts from like enjoying the information that you are drip fed yeah, as you get it if yeah. that makes sense yeah it is definitely um, there's like a moment where it's like i don't know where it was for me it was definitely towards the end where i'm like i get what is happening now right maybe it was like when brown died i'm like yeah now yeah i, kind I think of get it specifically when because you never you never understand really like the game does not ever like tell you on clear terms that the jennifer that you see on screen 
is not the same version of Jennifer that was experiencing all this stuff because she's like a like a young like an older teenager or like a young woman she's a young adult definitely Yeah, yeah yeah she's like a young adult and so you're seeing her get beat up by these like little kids and you're like girl you're a grown woman why don't you like stand up for yourself Mm -hmm. or like why do you you know and then when you get that flash of her as like a young girl then it's like oh i see Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it it sort of like recon recontextualizes everything um but then again you know my my complaints about it being you know frustrating and you're just being drip fed information you also have to understand that um this is exactly what jennifer is going through as she's uncovering her own trauma and recovering her memories Mm -hmm. so i think it's is it is it a good experience to play through no but then again that's not because the timeline is disjointed that's because of like a bunch of other factors i think Mm -hmm. more so than the fact that the timeline's confusing um i think it's it's a really interesting opportunity when you're telling a story that way it's a really interesting character study because you are seeing everything through the lens of her trauma that's why the 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 boss fights are so like surreal and strange like it, it's if a lot of the enemies feel like something that comes from like a nightmare about the trauma mm-hmm. and not like the actual events that played out and like the like the subtle like changes in the environment like so much of it taking place on this like airship that it didn't actually take place on but that's also like relevant to her past and then i don't know if you remember like the ropes that start to like get wrapped around like the rafters and stuff in the airship is like a visual metaphor for her feeling like trapped in like her situation and like i don't know i thought it was all really interesting i i really loved its approach to delivering the story there's many other problems with the game obviously and we'll Mm-hmm. I mean, we keep talking about it, but we'll get into them deeper later. But as far as like how it wanted to deliver the story and how it, for the most part, did deliver the story as like mm-hmm. a, it's like a thing, it's like a picture that you're like putting little pieces in and then you don't really realize what it is until you have like the majority of it or all of it finished. Yeah. And I really liked, there was a point where I'm like, I guess like as it starts, I'm like, this is a horror game. I got sucked into some different dimension. there's kids bullying me and stuff and weird stuff's happening like it's some that's how they describe it they describe it as a uh i think i skipped this section this is the preface from the manual uh an upside down world so i'm like oh it's you know it's like a weird horror game different dimension whatever I i don't know um but when you realize that it's like this is not it's not real it's just jennifer like working through her past and what the game pitches as repressed memories and they're just like extreme versions of like what happened to her as a child and it's all Mm -hmm. like it's all like messy and there's like parts from different sections like she's on an airship where it's not where it happened but it's relevant to her and it's like all these things are happening that didn't really happen but did Uh, it's it's confusing and it's like a lot of it is still up to interpretation i guess as to like how much of it is like true and like this happened and how much of it is like an exaggeration of what actually happened and yeah i really liked it i think it's one of the most unique stories i've seen told in a video game it's not a great video game but it is a really good story (laughs) it is yeah definitely let's discuss 
the story as it is meant to be, I guess, fully interpreted after the fact. I, I, I laid this out in our Google Doc, and I'll let you interject where you interjected, because, or you can stop me at any point if you want to discuss any of it, because um, mm-hmm. I just kind of went general bullet points of like order of events. So Gregory, who is the mysterious man from the, the main game, uh, Gregory is a poor farmer whose son Joshua has recently passed away. Jennifer is a young girl traveling with her parents on an airship that crashed near Gregory. Jennifer is the sole survivor of the crash, and Gregory takes her back to his farm and raises her as a, as like a replacement to his dead son. And I think it's implied that it starts out a bit more like like pure than it ends up being. Uh, like is genuinely like him trying to help like a, a young girl yeah. who survived a crash. But it as we learn from the story, it turns into Gregory replacing his dead son with Jennifer by like referring to Jennifer as Joshua and forcing her to dress in Joshua's clothes. Um and during this time Gregory is very depressed and suicidal and does things like lock Jennifer in her room in the basement and stuff like that. Uh, But one day, Wendy frees Jennifer and takes her back to the orphanage. Um, And a love starts to blossom between Wendy and Jennifer. It may be a bit of a one-sided situation. I'm not sure exactly what is implied. When she, I think, I I think when she was um, locked in the basement at Gregory's, Wendy just like happened to see her Mm -hmm. and thought, she was a boy. That's right. And then developed yes. this like infatuation with her. And then I think they started like exchanging letters, maybe talking through the window. Mm-hmm. And then Wendy eventually got her out. And at that point, um, Wendy and Jennifer also take the gun um, right. from Gregory's house because they're worried that he's going to kill himself. With oh, it. okay. So that was the reasoning. Yeah. Behind- okay, 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 okay. You gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I did gloss over that part, but there that was a bit more extended. Like, uh, it's not just like Wendy sees Jennifer and Freezer. It's uh, a bit more of a process. But from that from that point, Wendy and Jennifer kind of have a thing, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but Jennifer discovers a dog that she names Brown in a shed, I guess. I think that part is accurate. But anyway, Jennifer starts spending more time with Brown. Wendy becomes jealous and forms a... Uh, club basically like kind of works to exclude jennifer and bully her um i don't know if this is a different interpretation so take what i'm saying here with a grain of salt but another thing that i heard or how this process was like explained in a video i was watching was that wendy and jennifer were the like first um prince or sorry princess and prince of the aristocrats of the red crayon um jennifer finds puppy brown and it wasn't it it wasn't like a like a bullying fest i don't think that it that that like what it turns into but but anyway so jennifer finds brown starts to spend more time with brown um wendy accuses jennifer of like shirking her like club duties ousts her as the prince and replaces her with the teddy bear. Okay. Yeah, with the Joshua teddy bear. Okay. 
as the he, Joshua, the teddy bear Joshua is instated as the new prince and, and Jennifer is, is no longer in the club and is now down at the bottom of the social ladder. But I don't, I don't know how true that is because then at that point you would think that that Jennifer would then be aware that Wendy is behind everything because she already knew that Wendy was at the top of the club. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So that could be wrong. But Wendy's also like, Wendy is, I think, genuinely a sick child. Like, Uh, I don't know. I don't know. She's pretty manipulative. So I could see her using her sickness to get out of. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. A bunch of stuff. Or she could also be genuinely sickly. I don't know. Maybe. I I really don't. Yeah, that part's a little fuzzy. I, I wrote this down. I did not reference something for this. This was like me writing down my interpretation of like what I'm fairly confident happened. So there yeah. are some blank spots like that where I'm right. not really sure. Or it, it, it could also be that to, to Jennifer, because, you know, Wendy sort of like hid the fact from Jennifer that they were on bad terms because of Brown. It could have been that that maybe Wendy was like, oh yeah, like the, the club's not like our thing anymore. And she's just like pretending to be sickly in bed all the time when she's really the mastermind behind everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Could be, could not be, not sure. Something anyway. happens. Something happens. <laughs> <laughs> Brown, Brown is the catalyst of their relationship going down the toilet. That's the main takeaway. Yeah. Or I mean like Wendy's really the catalyst because it's not Brown's I fault, mean, yes, but, anyway. but like that event triggered that response yes yes um so their sort of pseudo falling out happens i guess and at some point hoffman and all of the adults leave the orphanage do they leave or are they killed i don't (laughs) know i believe that hoffman left i i thought it was implied that hoffman left to like have an abortion with for clara no is that we can maybe um so if there's more so to that, after we can yeah okay, okay. Well, yeah we'll talk we'll talk about that whole thing like in the next chunk we have an exit yeah, stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah um but i i do think after the hoffman boss fight so the boss fight with hoffman is you see him he's like wrapped up with like rope and he has his own like hand stuffed in his mouth mm-hmm. and like can't like talk anymore and he's like and I think after that, after that boss fight, the kids like drag him off, like drag yeah, yeah, his yeah. dead body away and are like scrubbing up. It's like sweeping up the blood behind him, mm-hmm. which makes me think that maybe the kids, because that's the same thing they were doing to the animals. So I was like, well, maybe the kids took it a step farther and killed Hoffman too. I, I really don't know. Don't know. <sighs> because I don't know why all the adults would just like leave. Like you don't just like leave an orphanage full of kids, like all of them. I, I really <laughs> All of the adults. <laughs> I really don't know, because we only know of two adults in the orphanage, Hoffman and the cleaning lady. Right. Um, but then I there's like guess... older, there's older orphans. Yes. Like Clara and stuff. And Diana, yeah. And Diana. So maybe they could feasibly leave for like a semi-extended period of time, maybe like a couple days. I don't know. That seems hella illegal, but this was also in the 1930s. Yeah, there were no laws back then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't... It's it's a little fuzzy around here for me, but the adults are definitely gone whenever, like, the shit happens. Right, or it's a situation where the adults are so neglectful that they may as well not even be there to begin with. I'm saying for, like, whenever, like, 
the murder, the the oh, genocide yeah, yeah. of the orphanage happens. The Gregory, the Gregory yes. situation. Like they're yeah. definitely. Okay. I believe they're not there for that. Okay. Um. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. So after all these, you know, bullying and uh, these these attempts by Wendy to separate Brown from Jennifer, uh, fail. Wendy orders that the aristocrats capture and kill Brown. Um, and I believe the same altercation that occurs in the game is what happens in real life. I think. I, I think that's what happens. I don't know if there's any, like, metaphorical or symbolic things happening there. I think that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I interpreted it, because we revert back to Jennifer as a young girl. Yeah. So, in my mind, that m- is meant to imply that that's, that's like, real? Yes. Okay. No, I, yeah, I agree that that's, that that's real. Okay. So, yeah, that happens and Wendy leaves. Um, but Wendy comes back dressed up as Joshua. Or, wait, no, she goes to Gregory dressed up as Joshua. So, how Jennifer was dressing prior. I bol- it must be implied that she, like, tortures him, which is weird to think of, like, mm-hmm. a young girl, like, torturing a grown man. But I, I think that's implied to be what happened i'm not sure like how how real the stray dog boss fight is is kind of what i'm getting at i mean we do know that he definitely kills them gregory killed everybody there gregory kills everyone right that is a real timeline fact but i don't know if like his presence as like a dog he's like on all fours whenever he comes He's shirtless. He has like a bunch of bruises. He's got a noose hanging around his neck and stuff like that. Or just a rope, I guess. Um, right. So if that is true, then I, I think it would be implied that Wendy physically tortures Gregory. As well as, you know, psychologically manipulating him. I don't know. I don't know, though. But but we also know that, that Gregory is at least considering self-harm. Right. Yeah, He's he's already kind of... He's unstable. He's in an he's, yeah. He's in an unstable state, and he right. has been for for so a while. So it could have been Wendy. Yeah, it could have been Wendy pushing him to do bad things to himself. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. But they, he definitely murders everyone. So that happens. Yeah. Um, except Jennifer, because Jennifer, I think in real life, also hands him a gun and he kills himself. I think that that's real events. There was a thing in one of the, I don't remember if it was like the little like novel, the little storybooks that you find around yeah. the place, but it was about Wendy or, or a girl that I think is implied to be Wendy trying to, having a um, crying wolf. Yeah, yeah, thing? yeah. The girl who, the boy who cried wolf situation with the stray with dog. The stray dog. Le- legend. So I don't think. I don't think Gregory was like always stray dog. I think she like she had the stray dog story in her head already that she was using and she made Gregory fit that role that she wanted him to. Cuz she's a manipulative little bitch. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I think that's true. If we have anyone who actually knows anything like concretely or has an interesting theory, uh please email us at uh, analogicmail at gmail.com. Uh or a comment but yeah, I mean, that is the real timeline of events. And then years later, Jennifer returns to the orphanage 
to recover her repressed memories. And that's like the real things that happened. Like every everything we do in the game basically is symbolic of something that actually happened and it's symbolic of her recovering her memories. So it's not like it's not real. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, it, okay. So is there any aspect of the true timeline of events that you take any issue with? I'll let you go first because I do have something. Um, no. No. Sorry. I'm trying to go back over the... I mean, there there were some, like, murky areas where I still... I mean, and it's not that those, like, that those areas necessarily have to be clarified. It's just, you know, there's some, there's some like, blank spots yeah. in the in the story. Gotcha. Um, and I already explained, you know, the my... The drip fed pace. Yeah, the, the drip fed thing. Not, not that... Because a good story is supposed to drip feed you a little bit of information at the, at, at a time so that you can sort of like adjust your judgments of these characters as you move along. That's totally fine. My my complaint about that more has to do with the pacing of the gameplay. Yes. And and how the gameplay stretches out the pacing mm-hmm. of the whole thing. We'll get into anyway. that. Yeah. Because that's like the main crux of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, as far as like anything that happened that I'm like kind of feeling weird about, so I love Gregory as a character. I think he's like super interesting, but at the same time, I feel like he's maybe the character or like this, the events around him are where I have to suspend my disbelief the most. This may mm-hmm. result, this may be me not fully understanding like what truly happened. Um, but particularly the stuff around like the stray dog ending uh, and like how he kills everyone at the orphanage. Like, I'm not sure yeah. if we don't like see enough of it and that's why I'm not like into it or I don't it, know. It's also everything up until that point where Wendy goes off and then brings him back has been so heavily centered around the orphanage and Gregory just sort of feels like he comes out of left field a little bit there at the end. Like that whole, I mean, like, yeah, it ties together with like closer to the beginning of Jennifer's story where that's like who she was with before she was at the orphanage, you know, like after Mm -hmm. she got traumatized from the airship crash and everything. But I think that the story would have felt more focused if, if the ending and like the climax, I guess had been slapping Wendy in the face and the aristocrat club, like falling apart Mm. because that's like what we really care about i guess you're right like i mean that's what that's what all the conflict is centered around is the club Mm -hmm. and i guess you would have to like tune down the gregory stuff in the earlier parts of the game as well yeah like maybe cut him out entirely because then it feels like there's nothing that happens with him other than i don't don't know i don't know i i'd have to think about it but i do kind of get what you're saying and i i kind of agree like it could end there I mean, there had to be, I mean, like the Gregory stuff for like the beginning makes sense because that is something that Wendy could save Jennifer from for, for Wendy to be like cemented in Jennifer and our good graces, like as the audience to be like, oh, Wendy's yeah. like so helpful. She's great. And just to make that twist to the end that much more painful. Right. Um, But I guess like, because we already know that Wendy's like a vindictive little bitch <laughs> And just for her to like come back again with Gregory as like a dog is like really weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it, that that felt like the least like believable to me, which I know is like 
weird because the story is already wild to begin with. Everything, everything else I was willing to accept up until that point for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they felt like they needed another traumatic event on that scale to <laughs> or like maybe justify they had to, like, her needing to recover her memories. Like, cause now yeah. there's no one that carries the memory of what happened there except her. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and maybe to tie up the loose ends of these other characters, but also it just feels so like shitty that they're so central to the story for so long just for them to all like disappear off screen. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Although I don't know. I feel like it would maybe be pushing the boundaries <laughs> to have yeah. all of all Child of these murderers. children be murdered on screen. Yeah. Um yeah, I feel I, like I, I guess think... there are limits to the uh to the ESR ESRB rating and Peggy rating systems. <laughs> right. So And I I don't know. I think that maybe because we didn't we didn't really get much time to explore the aftermath of the club falling apart. Um, but then, yeah, then you're right. Then there's nothing to make to force Wendy to have to recover these or not Wendy, Jennifer, to have to recover all these memories. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, because, because then, you know, there's the club people. is like, well, yeah. And, and the club approaches Jennifer and they're like, well, you're our new, we've elected you our new leader and now you have to come up with the games. And I don't know if Jennifer even has, like, gets to have a response to that to be like, are you kidding me? You want me to just do this to other people? Yeah, I'm pretty sure know. it immediately cuts to them noticing Wendy outside. So, yeah. It would have been interesting. And this this would kind of sidetrack the, what the game was trying to do, I think, a little bit. It would have been interesting if instead of this being like a, a flashback recover your trauma sequence, if it had been like, okay, we're going to put you through all this Rule of Rose club shit. At the end, you're going to overthrow the leader. And then at the at the very end, you have the choice of do we keep the club going with you in charge or do we dismantle it mm -hmm. and be like, oh, we're not doing this anymore to see if it could like push you to the point where you would be vindictive enough to turn into one of the bullies. Or we get Rule of Rose 2 and it's a club management simulator. <laughs> yeah. Your club members have stats. Mm -hmm. Have tea parties with them to increase their stats. That's a, that's a thing in Fire mm -hmm. Three Houses, but... <laughs> Diana's anyway. falling out of line. Send a send a hit squad to go after. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not sure. I'm looking at what we have left. This may be a two parter, mm -hmm. Morgan. Okay, we may we may be splitting this oh, up. I think we can come to the end Ooh. of overall thoughts. Get into okay, and, and then maybe some other tomorrow or whatever. Okay, just knock out the rest of it. The rest of it will be quicker, but I don't want to like mm -hmm. force ourselves to rush through it. Moving into overall thoughts, not sure how much of this we already touched on, but to reiterate kind of how much I like the story, I do think it's the story itself as it's presented as well, I do enjoy. It really comes down to the gameplay and stuff that we'll get into later. Some of the padding, some of the leaps of logic towards the end, or maybe just my lack of understanding, which I guess to some extent comes down on them conveying the ideas to me. So, Yeah, so something that like the themes and the characters and the setup in this game reminds me of Lord of the Flies. And I'm absolutely not the first person to make that connection. A lot of people yeah. <laughs> who have played this game mm -hmm. have been like, it's kind of like Lord of the Flies. Um, I've never even read the book. I just know that it's like this incredibly cynical take on human nature. But I, I do think it would be interesting to compare this game to Lord of the Flies, if you're more familiar with the book. Um and examine like like kind of how we already talked about like gendered behaviors how like in lord of the flies the boys 
were more like physical with their um i guess like acting out and their like devolving of like society Mm -hmm. or whatever when they were like out on that island versus here it's there's like violence in this game like physical violence yes but also these girls are using like emotional manipulation tactics and like psychological bullying and that permeates like everything going on so yeah just a thought yes i i will say the lord of flies comparison heard it a lot um and i don't know the source for this but there was like a comment i saw on someone talking about rule of rose and lord of the flies at some point where so i'm citing a youtube comment that i can't even remember fully so this is basically the level of like research that goes into this podcast i guess but it was a comment saying that there was like an actual lord of the flies-esque situation where there were boys stranded on an island and they actually kind of worked together (laughs) yeah they were like all right like it's right funny well and the thing was i i read the same anecdote and the thing was the boys not only worked together and survived there was a boy that was with them that had a broken leg and they cared for him so well that his leg actually healed like properly. Oh, okay, okay. So they yeah, didn't so, even so like, not only they didn't cut off the weak link in a sense. Like, right, right. So, so, so not only did they like survive, but they also were able to care well for like one of their group members. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another thing that I feel like is worthy is worth pointing out for like extra context: the author of the Lord of the Flies. This is an anecdote I heard. I don't know how true this is, but I've heard that he was a school teacher for very privileged, bratty, British, upper-class boys. Interesting. So I think that influenced his... He was probably like, these little shits. Yeah. I'm going to put them in a situation and they're going to be the most evil little little shits you can imagine. Yeah, what is... Um, I, I wonder if there's like a severity of the situation where it's like they're actually on an island and they have to like get their shit together to survive that makes them like work together maybe like being in like a school setting or just like a normal like suburban life where everything is fine that you don't act like a bratty little bitch yeah i, or, I don't or know you do act like i don't i don't know maybe like, <laughs> when, yeah like when your life is on the line maybe you do actually shape up a little maybe. bit maybe yeah and maybe when and like grow some yeah grow some empathy maybe when everything's <laughs> okay you start to find other things to worry about yeah, yeah. Maybe there's like a team dynamic like they needed each other they were like a team it was them against nature so they yeah. were like they they were it's easier to work together than that situation whereas when you don't have like do you need like a do you need like an antagonist in your life and if you don't have one you have to create it i don't know yeah well that's kind of what the boys did with the the lord of the flies yes. the thing possessing the pig head or something i read a synopsis to try okay, and understand yeah, I don't it really but know what i haven't either. read the book <laughs> okay. anyway um lord of flies definitely an apt comparison let's let's touch further on some of the mm-hmm. uh, very uncomfortable topics that uh this game brings up so i'm very curious about how you feel about some of these and i see that you've left a lot of red uh yes throughout this part i haven't read anything yet but I was particularly interested in girl bullying. This was one of the, I mean, this is like the entire, the main theme, I guess, of this entire game. I don't, and it's like such a weird, seldomly covered topic in video games, especially. I don't know about like other mediums of storytelling, but especially for this time, like this was not, I don't know like what the demographics of gaming were at this time, but I have to assume Mm -hmm. it was 
still heavily male dominated uh, in development as well as like player base. I don't mm-hmm. know like if there were like girls, women present on the team. I tried to look into that a little bit, but I didn't like see anything. It seems like creative directors and stuff, like the people up top were men, which I'm not saying like you couldn't have a good take on like something you haven't experienced firsthand. I don't know. But yeah, I I broke down the bullying into like a couple different characters because I feel like it touches on a couple different things. So let's start with uh, just the general bullying towards Jennifer. What do you what do you have to say on that? So when I like saw the the slap scene, slapping slapping Wendy scene, mm-hmm. the line that hit me the hardest, I think, was when Jennifer says. And I hate myself the very most for playing your games and not having the strength to stand up to you. Yeah. Because out of all of like the, I've only had, you know, I know some people, I'm not, some people have a way worse than me, not even trying to go there, but I had, you know, like the high school bully and I had like a shitty romantic relationship and overcoming, you know, like both of those things that the the self-loathing afterwards was probably the hardest thing to overcome because and even to this day like i still struggle with it like there's a part of me who it's where it's like why did i ever agree to be around this person why did i ever you know be a doormat for them for them to walk all over me sort of like i guess like internalized victim blaming not saying that that's okay don't victim blame but like the the like shame and the self-loathing of like why wasn't i stronger why couldn't i just like get it right and like mm-hmm. handle it like quote unquote correctly but yeah so that that really like resonated with I me get that. a lot it's a, it's almost like a different uh, it's like a different kind of cringe where like you're thinking back on your past behavior and just like really trying to drive it into your head that you're not going to do this again maybe yeah yeah well and it's also not something that i would ever apply to somebody else like i would never look at somebody else who's been through like a bad relationship and be like well why didn't you just do better mm-hmm. like it only applies to myself right um right, right. so but yeah it, it it's very difficult mm-hmm. to to let go of i think jennifer definitely gets a, the worst i'd say because it is like mm-hmm. organized bullying towards one person to exclude them from basically everybody right well and like well amanda is also bullied but then in a lot of situations, and not saying that that justifies, you know, anything that happens to Amanda by any means, but Amanda's word is still prioritized over Jennifer's word. Because when Amanda's like, oh yeah, she stole the teddy bear. Everyone just goes with what Amanda says because that's what gives them the excuse Mm -hmm. to bully Jennifer, who is like their intended target. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It almost feels like they're like the the higher ups of the club are operating off of like a a very loose set of rules that mm-hmm. they are very they can change at whim to do what they want. Oh yeah, so absolutely, it's all very arbitrary. It's almost just, like Amanda's word didn't matter. They just no, it, and it never was going yeah, to. Yeah, like they probably knew what was happening the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I do think let's get more into. Amanda. So um, we receive bullying from Amanda as well as we see bullying towards Amanda. Um, and I think that that's a pretty interesting... I, I think she she represents people that I feel like I've seen in real life where they take a lot of abuse, but they desperately want to be accepted by those who abuse them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Amanda in this case. And she has like a really deep hatred of Jennifer because there's like a moment where Jennifer is like rising above Amanda. And that like, I think solidifies some sort of like hatred from um, Amanda towards Jennifer. Um, because it's like, it's weird because it's like misplaced. It's like she can't hate yes. the people who are really doing this to her. She just hates someone who she thinks she should be above. I, it's like, right. It's almost like, uh, I don't know. It feels like a middle it, manager sort of like. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's, that's it exactly. It's like, it's like her, her solution or, or her way of dealing with her circumstances isn't to address the things causing her circumstances. She wants to play by the rules and become one of the aristocrats on their terms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she she's totally fine with doing mm-hmm. that and, and sees Jennifer as like an obstacle to that when Jennifer's like, I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just here. And just by being there, that means that she's a threat to Amanda's desire to like get out of her lowly situation. Mm-hmm. Um during like as i was playing the game and like watching the cutscenes and everything 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 later on <laughs> it it made me viscerally uncomfortable how easily hateable amanda is Ooh. like how much yeah. like instinctually like on a logical level i know that amanda is a victim just like jennifer but on an emotional level, it's like everything about her, her actions and her mannerisms are meant to like disgust you. Her her facial um, expressions are like so exaggerated and she just has this kind of like annoying, immature quality about her. And I think it's kind of that's like kind of the point, though, is she's she's supposed to be hateable, like you're supposed to mm. want to to hate her i guess maybe because the authors are trying to get us to like fall into the same line of thinking that the bullies do Mm. um and then realize you know at the end like oh i should have never thought that way Mm -hmm. like oh i i am i am capable of falling for this line of thinking too Mm -hmm. um i'm not gonna i'm not trying to sound like in uh a saint or anything but i did notice this in like a couple like comments and other online discourse of people like genuinely hating amanda as a character like no they're like i hate you i hate amanda and all this stuff and i'm like i don't know i kind of like struggle to hate i mean like i i definitely view her as a victim as yeah. just someone who probably needs to be taught right from wrong and just yeah. be accepted um right yeah she needs she needs acceptance and a good influence and then she would be fine mm-hmm. which i also know it, it would not be acceptable today but just because I feel like maybe we should touch on it. Um, so Amanda is like the chunky girl. And I think, and this is going to sound bad, this does not reflect my personal views or anything like that. But I think part of making her hateable is also making her like, quote unquote, like unappealing physically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was like a Dudley aspect going on where it yeah. felt like... It felt like her physical appearance was really meant to be part of her character in a significant way. I don't, I don't know. Or like meant to help us know how to feel about her or something. Right. Be- well, because, know. because, and again, I'm not saying that this is not something that's like encouraged as much today, but back then, like fat phobia was probably more of a prevalent yeah. 
situation. And I know some people, you know, fat phobia is still a problem. Um, but back then it was probably more of like an acceptable reason to target somebody yeah, <laughs> or to, to have, yeah. to have a prejudice toward them, mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason. But, but then like something else I wanted to point out is that like, and aside from Amanda, who is like clearly a victim in the situation as much as Jennifer is, all of these kids are on some level a victim because you don't end up in an orphanage without terrible things happening to you. Right. Like, yeah. like every single one of them has been through something awful it's or true. is like also going through something awful, like with Hoffman, for example, mm -hmm. like, and especially the older reprieve. kids, like it's almost, <laughs> yes. it's almost understandable that these older kids turn out really messed up because of just the trauma they experienced maybe as a young kid, but then it's just prolonged by living in an orphanage without parents. And right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And, and you have this adult Hoffman who is treating these kids with like blatant favoritism. Mm -hmm. Also like they are, they, they have no inherent value and they're like disposable. So if that, if the kids, if that's the only thing they have modeled for them, like that sort of behavior and that sort of outlook modeled for them, why would they ever think anything else? Mm -hmm. Like, I can kind of understand why they are the way that they are. Also, there was something you were talking about earlier before we started this section where you said how the, um, like the developers were probably mostly men right. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, there is a quote that I saw that you took from one of the developers earlier. And I don't know how this compares to what they actually said, like in context and, and also maybe like translation. Yeah. yeah translation wise. But the quote says um, that this game is supposed to examine the um, quote, mysterious and misunderstood nature of young girls. And that aspect of the pitch honestly kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And the reason why is because it's not, it's not mysterious. Like, like to me that quote is implying that little girls have this innate tendency to be manipulative and deceptive and cruel and that's that's not the case little girls don't <laughs> little girls aren't like pre-built to be these little psychopaths you know mm -hmm. um and like i sort of was like previously stating children are a product of their environment and these children have an environment that is like horrendous and cruel to them that they can't get out of like through their own power like they are at the mercy of this like corrupted adult so like i don't I, it's not that mysterious to me mm -hmm. if i'm being honest <laughs> this is interesting and maybe this is out of the scope of this podcast but do you feel like we're born good <laughs> i feel like so i'll just say i feel like as children i don't think we're like evil or saint-like or any extreme thing like that but i do think that we're probably predisposed to being selfish without parental intervention like guiding mm -hmm. us in the right i feel like if i had to say like an innate or an innate nature of children i feel like i would say something like selfish like they're mm -hmm. they're focused on what they want and they don't i guess it's like theory of mind and stuff like that like mm -hmm. learning that other people are just like you and that they have thoughts and feelings and opinions and like preferences and stuff like that i don't know yeah i think i guess my thought is like i i think it's <laughs> kind of weird i guess and this ties it all into like a sort of like religious journey i've been on <laughs> um, 
which like I am, I have, I have my faith, you know, and I'm just, yeah. Anyway. Welcome to our PlayStation um, 2 podcast. Right. Well, well, like in Christianity, you know, you have this concept of, of original sin. Yeah. And, and then you have, you know, like these concepts of like redemption, you have to be redeemed of this, of this taint of sin that you are born with. You are born this evil little nasty creature. Right. Creature. But I think. That was very creature, southern. Creature. Um, but I think like from like a, I guess like a scientific standpoint, I don't know. I, I feel like it's really weird to assign a moral value to a, a, a newly born child mm-hmm. and be like, oh, it's a dirty little sinner or, oh, it's so pure and innocent. Because it's neither. It's just I a guess. baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a biological, like as a living being, are are we are we are predisposed to survival, mm-hmm. to to trying to survive. Um, and so and so, like you said, maybe maybe we're more predisposed to act selfishly, right? Because yeah. maybe acting selfishly is what ensures survival. Mm-hmm. But also, humans are social creatures. And part of the reason why we are so successful at surviving is because we have these social relationships that provide support for us that make surviving easier, mm-hmm. like much easier. So it's sort of like a who knows <laughs> which way your biological, your genes are going to predispose you to being. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I think that that nurture is going to have way more impact on that than like your your predispositions are actually going to have. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, like, I think there are people, Mm. and this is probably a better question for Claire than for me to be discussing as someone who's like studied psychology, but there are people who are born sociopaths. Oh yeah. That would be interesting. Don't hurt other people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they they just perfectly blend in. Don't cause any problems for anybody. Do their own thing. Despite the fact that they are like a sociopath. Mm -hmm. And what's the, I forgot what the definition is. It's, isn't it just like a lack of it like a empathy sort of thing like or just a mm, i'm not an expert i think it's like kind of a lack of empathy and also a lack of like you don't fear consequences yeah god if only there was an expert somewhere within the facility of one of us <laughs> yeah ah, if only anyway yeah and she wouldn't claim to be an expert in this particular field of psychology i did ask her a little bit about, about repressed memories while she was mm-hmm. very drowsy and sick, we're all very drowsy and sick right now. <laughs> oh no! Uh, in our household, um, but yeah, she literally, I think, just woke up, and I was like, "Claire, what do you think about repressed memories?" And she's like, "I have a... They're mostly made up." <laughs> uh, which I don't think that she would allow me to say on her behalf as like a definitive statement because it's not really her area. But yeah, and that's. Yeah. We're not making any definitive yeah, yeah. statements here, by the way, because we don't know what we're talking about. I think based on her understanding that, so she said you're more likely to constantly relive a traumatic event and PTSD, you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. is much more likely than needing to uncover it. Like you're more likely to never forget it as opposed to forget right. it. Um, yeah. I guess is that makes sense. what she was saying uh well and and for the sake i mean i guess like for the sake of this story i don't think they were trying to be accurate no i don't think that's like representing i don't think that's right like (laughs) the validity of repressed memories as a psychological topic yeah i think is irrelevant Mm -hmm. for the purposes of the story like it could be a made-up thing that they decided and it would still be fine right but yeah it is like a like i know people who have like uncovered repressed memories 
And I do have doubts. That they're valid? I do have doubts as to their validity. Um, mm. So I don't... It's, it's, it's confusing, and I'm not an expert. Um, there mm. are definitely, without a doubt, this is, this is a true thing that we're going to talk about. There are instances of, like, it, it, it came out that they were being like, like it was fake. Like they were told a mm. lie, like by a psychologist or a therapist or oh, whatever. They were asked like leading questions yes, like, that like planted that there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there are like psychological fads to some extent, like a uh, multiple personality disorder and stuff like that, where it's like doubtful how valid conditions like that are. I don't think this is as egregiously uh, I, I don't think it's as contested as something like that, but I think it's mm. on that level to some extent. Anyway, this concludes our psychology hour. Um, <laughs> let's move on to, uh, unless you have something else to say about Amanda. No, I don't. Okay. So this is probably my, this is like the area of bowling that I think stood out to me the most. And it was Diana and Meg's two-faced sort of bullying of Eleanor who's meant to be like their mm. friend and stuff when they kill her pet bird. Again, I don't know like what really happens in like the real timeline, but um, as we see it, it's them bullying Eleanor for being different, I guess, but in a, uh, like a secretive way, like they're not, they're going behind her back and blaming it on Jennifer and stuff like that. And it's like a very like secretive two-faced and pointless activity that is just like so sad, but also definitely true. Like, mm -hmm. this is definitely how people act towards their like so-called friends, and it's like, oh yeah, it's extremely off-putting. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. If I remember, Jennifer or sorry, Eleanor didn't even have like much of a reaction. No, yeah, either. Like she didn't seem like surprised. Mm -hmm. Almost. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume that she didn't do anything to. No one does anything to deserve being bullied, really. Yeah. But like, you have to assume this was just like a a thing to do to get a reaction, like kind of like a sick, kind of evil activity. Like there was, it wasn't prompted. It wasn't like a reaction to something. It was just we're going to mess with our friend in a very yeah. like hurtful way. It's right. Well, and I also wonder like if. And not, we don't get to, you know, get Eleanor's, like, perspective on any of this at all. But I wonder if it was maybe a moment of, like, self-awareness for her of, like, oh, you know, I'm part of this little gang that sets up these games all the time. And I wonder if, like, as soon as her bird went missing and as soon as, like, the, the prompt was, oh, find her bird, if she, like, knew immediately what had happened. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I could, know. I mean, reasonably, I could see that being true. And honestly, like, I don't know how, like, Meg doesn't notice something like that either, where this is a group of people that is constantly pitting things purposefully on Jennifer. Yeah. But they're not suspicious of it. And, like, and maybe right. for Meg's case, it makes sense because she kind of, she assumes that she's exempt from the bullying from Diana, I think. Like. Right. And she well, and also then afterwards, her, sort of, so. Yeah, I was going to say, afterwards, she ran to Diana for comfort. Right. Yeah, so there's probably, like, a bit of, like, denial happening. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just thought Eleanor's section, Meg's section as well, where it's, like, bullying your friends behind their back. Pretty messed up. 
that's another messed up aspect of like the bullying in this game. And I guess this is true from Wendy as well. Yeah, I guess I guess the only thing I had to because we've you know talked a lot about Wendy. Um, actually, I will talk more about Wendy and Jennifer's relationship a little bit further down the list. Um, but just one of the things I wanted to say about Wendy. <laughs> um, so so her her comeuppance for all this shit that she's put everybody through. Um, in, in forming this little club targeting Jennifer, killing Brown, all that yeah. crap. Um. Her comeuppance for all that is a slap. And when she gets slapped, when she gets basically called out, she has the fucking audacity to cry one little delicate tear. (laughs) And in that (laughs) moment, that just like unlocked something incredibly vindictive and feral in me. I was like, one little slap is all it's going to take for you to crack. And like, and like, shed your, oh, poor me. Like that's, you just, you know, you, you, you encourage these, these little girls to like torture each other and to kill each other's pets and torture animals. And even after all of that, Jennifer's reaction to everything still felt so restrained yeah. and timid. And I was like, I would have fucking gone off the rails. Mm-hmm. There, you could not have stopped me when i flew off the rails like she everybody everybody would have been pummeled like (laughs) i would i think i was taking it too far but i was like i'm ready for jennifer to curb stomp this bitch like (laughs) same (laughs) (laughs) like like it it was it was a moment of like catharsis for jennifer and for us but it's also like but give me more Like, like, there's like an ugly part of me who's like, I need more. This is not enough. I am not satisfied and I will not be satisfied until I see them like a complete hysterical mess. Mm-hmm. I guess that points to Jennifer's nature. She's not really out to like really hurt anybody. I, I assume. Well, yeah. If I was Jennifer at that point, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I would have been so, um, I don't know. She's also like what six? Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> Maybe. Like, what the age is. There. <laughs> Maybe like nine. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, older than six. I don't. That was just my go-to. She's like four. <laughs> <laughs> you toddler. <laughs> I think. Oh. Um. Anyway, let's let's get on to the uh, adults' abusive children. Yes. Um. Our prime. I think our prime example. We we've already talked about Gregory and how he's just a little um um unstable and that's that's sort of like where his whole thing stems from um so hoffman we we have these examples of abuse also with hoffman with uh clara and diana Mm -hmm. um i think clara is the mermaid in the like mermaid boss fight i don't know like what is meant to be implied there like did she want to kill herself like because it seems like a hanging sort of but also i don't know I really, yeah. Her feet are bound. She's trapped. Mm-hmm. There's also, I think, right. an implied abortion. Yes. Okay. I'll let you go. So she has, she has a hole in her stomach. Oh, okay. And to me, that implies unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. Probably as a result of Hoffman's abuse. Um. Also, vomiting mm-hmm. suggests either like stress from stress from her situation and morning sickness Mm. also she has these little red 
markings on her wrists mm-hmm. that look that they kind of look like gills, but also it's like it's on Cut, her wrist. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, OK, this is either self-harm or she couldn't take it anymore. And that's how she. Ended it. Yeah. Um, and I also heard theories about when you are walking around the orphanage, when you're no longer in the airship, when you actually get to be in the orphanage, there is music playing on the loudspeakers overhead. It's fairly loud. Um, and someone suggested that that is an attempt to disguise sounds of the sexual assault happening. Oh. Yeah. That's, that is interesting. That's like a totally, I believe, I could totally believe that being intentional. That's really, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so after Clara... You encounter her a few times and she's very, like, despondent. Her her body language suggests, like, mm-hmm. no self-confidence, completely uncomfortable. If you try to look through her things, she'll get up and be like, no, please don't look there, which implies that she's hiding some, like, something maybe having to do with her abuse. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so there's this, like, implied situation where she probably got pregnant, had the C-section, um maybe hoffman was like involved with that um and then afterwards she just like mysteriously disappears probably because she either maybe died from complications or yeah ended it herself oh i didn't even consider that she could have died from complications well yeah if you do it at home yeah what's gonna happen (laughs) like it's dangerous but so so after clara is gone Diana becomes the focus of Hoffman's abuse. And I don't think we ever get to see this in game, but there is official art of Diana where she kind of has like her, she's like curtsying a little bit and her skirt's kind of pulled up and you can see she has bandages wrapped around one of her thighs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is sort of scary. I don't remember if that was like in, in a game cutscene ever. I don't remember seeing that. I think that was, um, um, yeah, I, yeah, maybe not. I definitely know what you're talking but, about. I kind of, I saw that and I just kind of, and I don't even think I paid attention. I was like, kids get sc- scrapes <laughs> on the thigh, though. That high I guess up not. Yeah, you're right. Mm, yikes. Um, but yeah, so so then so then Diana sort of becomes the focus of Hoffman's abuse, and that's really clear from the scene in front of the fish tank where he's like right. getting all creepy and handsy with her, and she's clearly like disgusted and distressed. And also, when Hoffman wishes the kids good night or whatever um at the orphanage he says diana's name first which to me implies favoritism like some sort of like gross preference for her yeah. uh, and she's also the oldest girl she's the one who's the most physically developed mm-hmm. she kind of has like boobs no one else really has boobs um but yeah so that is all very sad and uh yeah yeah that's a i definitely you've kind of cleared up how i was viewing that whole section i think that that makes okay. sense <laughs> yeah there's also that scene so like right after because the whole time uh in this in that chapter where the mermaid stuff takes place hoffman's like quote-unquote comforting but like caressing diana very like suggestively the entire time yes uh but like as, i remember like as soon as he left diana just like kind of like snapped into like a different that's probably how she copes. Tone, where I think she was seeming like more um, helpless while Hoffman was around and then like kind of snapped into like a gross, um, which I'm not sure how to interpret how she was dealing with that sort of thing. Like if it was a 
Because we're meant to believe that Diana is very manipulative. So I didn't know if it was meant to be a, like, obviously, Hoffman's still abusing his power. But, like, was Diana trying to abuse... Abuse him back? Abuse him back back? I don't know. Mm. I don't know if I would say abuse him back, but, like, manipulate Manipulate, him in some way. It's, to me, and me, this is just, like, how I sort of... mm, my womanly feelings <laughs> are saying to me that um, it's it's like a form of denial. I'd have to watch the like, scene again because I'm like, I'm yeah. struggling to remember exactly how it played out. My my gut instinct, I guess, is that when you you are only she only feels she only lets herself, I guess, feel helpless, or that helplessness only comes through when she is directly presented with her abuser. And the second he is like removed from the situation, she can deny that 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 and like distance herself from that that aspect, that situation that's going on by putting on this like other this more confident persona mm-hmm. when he's not around. Um to try and to try and get any scrap of like power that she possibly can back over her situation. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a a way to cope and to like get control back. Yeah, but I could I don't know. I could see that. I just like I think the thing for me is that we see Diana in like a two faced sort of way. Sort yeah. of like I don't know. I it, it it's up to interpretation, I guess, because it's not. Yeah. Well, and that's also what makes it, I think, good mm-hmm. is that you can't quite tell what's going on, and so then it's worth like thinking about and dissecting and discussing. Mm-hmm. Like that's. I'm okay that it's ambiguous, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm content with this discussion okay. on the abuse of children. Okay. I think that we're going pretty late. So yeah. I think that I'm going to leave a highlight here. And I think that we can pick this up again later. We're back. We took a a small break. A small 24-hour break. <laughs> um, this may be our longest episode, which is... I don't know. It's funny if it does become our longest episode because we cut out an entire segment for the sake of brevity and saving time. Yeah. Uh, the opening topics. So, yeah. I highlighted children's abuse of adults mm-hmm. as the the controversial theme to pick up. Okay. I didn't have anything particular to say about it, but I do find it interesting. Yeah. And it's something that they wanted to focus on, I know, with like having you play as an adult Jennifer despite her reliving her memories as being a child to where it's kind of a bunch of children showing an adult Jennifer no respect and having like power over her which isn't like isn't something that most people ever face I guess but it's like a very like strange feeling to invoke I I suppose like being an older more rational human being subjected to the whims of like someone who's like 14 or 12 or however old they are um i think we kind of mentioned it earlier um where up until the point where you know that this is all a flashback and and like the actions we're seeing you know the things we're seeing happen to jennifer didn't happen to her as an adult but like when she was like a much younger child i mean like up until you realized that there was like a part of me where i was like why is she putting up with this crap Mm-hmm. you know because she's like physically like bigger than these kids so it's like why don't just i don't know mm-hmm. do something or yeah mm-hmm. 
There are some, uh, I, this is a film I have not seen, but Ari Aster's uh, like thesis film. He's, he, I don't know if you're familiar with any of his stuff. Nope. Does a lot of very twisted sort of horror-esque films. Uh, very popular in the film community, I guess. His thesis film in college was focused on a child who was sexually abusing his father. So like kind of a reverse on like a typical Hmm. A typical, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was like a really interesting sort of premise to be like a parent who is kind of like afraid of your child. I know that's kind of a theme with like uh, horror and stuff like that. That's kind of like a trope almost to have like a child who is possessed or evil or something. Oh, yeah. That Uh, happens a lot. mm -hmm. Because it's just like, I don't know, especially off putting, I guess. Because I guess they're viewed as innocent mm-hmm. or, you know, well-meaning or well-intentioned. So it's really, I don't know, frightful to see them try to murder you. <laughs> right. I thought it was interesting in some of the, I think, developer interviews that you had as like a reference for us to like refer to as we for our discussion for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, again, I don't know like how accurate my interpretation is of what I read because, you know, translations, stuff like that, some things might be lost. Um, but the developers were kind of talking about this idea of innocence, but I don't think th- at least, you know, typically when you think of innocence, you think of that as like a morally good quality to have, where in this case, it almost feels like the concept of innocence warped into something else unexpected like innocence is in like you don't understand like how evil what you're doing is like you're too innocent to understand you know like the gravity of like what you're Uh, okay what you're you know like the abuse and stuff that you are perpetrating or something Mm -hmm. so like a lack of empathy is kind of innocence almost yeah or or i guess maybe maybe in this case innocence in the sense that they were you know describing it in that interview maybe innocence means like naive mm-hmm. but not naive not naive in a good way where like you're unaware of like the consequences of your actions sort yeah. of you you yeah innocence is always applied to someone who does not have power and in this case these people had power over jennifer and their right. innocence i guess led to abuse of that power uh I don't or know. maybe they're like their innocence their naivete maybe is mm-hmm. what makes them malleable by like wendy mm-hmm. and and then that like morphs them into something evil to an extent yeah 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 because yeah. like definitely wendy and diana you could not really argue innocence for no. too much not because yeah. they were like i feel like very well aware of reactions that they would create and how to push people in certain directions and stuff mm-hmm. like that so but like for all of the children, like Amanda and stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, they, they're, I don't know, they're kind of just a walk in chemical reaction still, you know, they're just. Yeah. Well, she's just looking for like acceptance. So I guess yeah. in that way, she is kind of innocent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something that we haven't touched on much is animal abuse. And that's like very blatant throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like half the chapters focus around abusing an animal, um, especially in like the early sections. We see like brown, like tight like what is that hog tied i don't know what that is where your like legs are tied together yeah that's like hog tied basically yeah, yeah. 
and just kind of like dangling like a pinata. Yep. Uh, that's hog tied. <laughs> yeah. And like people or kids uh, like smacking like sacks that are presumably holding an animal or something like that. So yeah. a lot of just blatant uh, animal abuse. And I don't know if that like struck a chord with you in any way. Like it definitely kind of was pretty revolting to me. Like one of the more off-putting aspects of the game. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially because like, huh, this is probably like kind of a, I don't know if I would call it like a stereotypical thing to say, or maybe a cliche, but the thing is like, oh, you can tell if like, if someone is a sociopath because they always start hurting the animals first. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's like a sign that, of a complete lack of empathy. That could be legitimate. It also could be something that I just took from movies and assumed was exactly. legitimate. So yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah, the idea that like, um, like sociopaths and serial killers always like hurt animals when they're children. I don't know. So yeah, I get what you're saying. I guess it shows how, I don't know. I guess it shows just a lack of empathy in general. It doesn't extend mm-hmm. to adults or other humans or animals even. So Right, because yeah. it's not the same thing as like, I don't know, stealing something from another child and like like an object and like breaking mm-hmm. it. It's like a living, breathing thing that mm-hmm. you're um, putting in a sack and then beating to death yeah. with brooms and like clubs. Mm-hmm. Like what? it's it's very um Mm -hmm. graphic and like twisted so it is i wonder like because uh we don't like see brown and i don't think that we need to like see something to like i don't know feel the impact of like an animal being killed or Mm -hmm. hurt or anything like that but part of me was wondering if the uh the sack was kind of to like skirt around like potential issues with like ratings boards and stuff like that Probably. I don't know. Maybe. <clears throat> um, yeah, just yeah. Straight up whacking a rabbit may, might not uh, go over so well or something. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. I also think like there's some like something probably more powerful about someone whacking a sack because you're forced to wonder what's in the sack as opposed yeah. to just seeing it. Well, yeah, because like when, when Jennifer shows up and it's brown in the sack and she doesn't know that until they tell her. Or mm-hmm. you have like the suspicion because you're like, well, now brown's missing. Mm-hmm. um yeah oh and then amanda's like uh like oh i'll tell you what's in the sack and then she's like smiling the whole time like it's like some like funny joke oh god yeah. she's so hateable she is <laughs> very annoying everyone's very annoying i wish that there was just a big scene where <laughs> i wish she smacked everybody just like one by <laughs> yeah. one yeah i mean like they all kind of deserved it yeah, yeah. like that one psa where the guy's smacking everybody at the party just one by one. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Line up. Get your smack. But yeah, don't have too much to say about the animal abuse other than I hate it. Um, right. Yeah. It is upsetting. <laughs> another like, especially like for the time controversial topic is like the um, homosexual relationships between girls. Like, do you say, like, I don't know what you say when they're children. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, th- Like so- mm-hmm. sort of like a romantic I don't know. the The implications are very like romantic, I guess. Yeah. Based on like like there's like images of like two little girls like nuzzling each other's foreheads in like a, a rose a, a patch of like rose bushes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then there's this is the intro cutscene, right? Yes. And then yeah, there's yeah. Meg and Diana, and I think right. I might be misremembering, but doesn't Diana put Meg's finger in her mouth? Yeah, that was also in the intro cutscene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that was about necessarily. <clears throat> right. Um there's I think sections of the game that did end up getting cut. I think there was meant to be more between Hoffman and Clara mm. and Hoffman's abuse in general. Um and I wonder if that was I wonder if maybe this was meant to be touched on deeper based off its like presence in the intro cutscene and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think I think I remember a little bit more context around Meg and Diana. I think Meg was maybe offering Diana a rose and she pricked her finger on it. And then Diana yeah. just like sucked the blood off her fingers or something. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Also, to be fair, like I know you were like, oh, back in the day, this was probably a controversy. This is still like a huge controversy like the idea of like if you let your children see gay stuff they're gonna turn gay it's oh like, it's definitely still controversial works. yeah but like i felt like i feel like at the time of this coming out there was much less of a group of people like it was much less known that there would be people who would support this idea yeah you know, you know what i mean like like there there was less well there was less support behind being gay in general i guess yeah, yeah yeah whereas if you try to cover this topic today i feel like you're safe knowing that at least some people will be like hey this is good or but not necessarily this but maybe another instance of it yeah uh, yeah i'm not sure but yeah i'm curious i noticed you had some some red in this section so. i did um so something that i thought was interesting so, so like we kind of mentioned the two like quote-unquote homosexual relationships or or that sort of like implication is between Wendy and Jennifer and then Meg and Diana. You don't really see much between Meg and Diana other than the things that we just mentioned in like the love letter situation. Mm -hmm. Um there are some people that kind of like want to debate whether or not Wendy and Jennifer are actually lesbians or whatever. And I don't really think that like matters. Um, I mean, the point was that it was like an intimate relationship that turned abusive. And mm -hmm. that's like the main thing that they're trying to get across. But something that I thought was kind of interesting about Wendy and Jennifer's relationship is that it might be worth thinking about or maybe discussing how Jennifer's, I guess, quote unquote, closest relationships with others on the game is is like about her being trapped in these expectations that have been forced upon her by the other person in the relationship so for example like how gregory found her and then like ended up calling her by his dead son's name and then mm -hmm. cutting her hair and then dressing her like a boy so she's like forced into this this role of pretending to be his son pretending to be a boy and then Wendy ends up becoming infatuated with Jennifer based on that, you know, boyish appearance that Gregory forced her to take on. And so then with Jennifer, she's forced to take on this sort of like prince persona and to play out uh, Wendy's like fairy tale fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second she falls short of Wendy's expectations, you know, when she um, <clears throat> when she adopts Brown, then that's when everything falls apart and she's coerced to do like all the games that comprise the plot of the game. Right. So it is a very um, tragic ex existence because the, 
you know, she goes through all this, two tragedies, uh, exits the world into, uh, I think, the beginning of World War II, based off the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, pretty fun, fun life she's got. She probably just dies in a bombing. Or maybe she's the, once again, the sole survivor of a bombing. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine? Oh, the unlucky girl, because that's what they call her, right? Yes. Um, but I guess, like, what what I was trying to get at... Um, <clears throat> I propose, I guess, that like, yeah, if you want to like view the relationship as like them being lesbians, like that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think it's equally true that Wendy wasn't ever truly in love with Jennifer. She was in love with this idealized version of Jennifer. And the second Jennifer doesn't measure up to that, then that's when things get toxic because, right. well, I mean, that's how yeah. abusers function um, sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. It's a sort of a, oh, what's the opposite? It's a conditional love. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. Well, and and like Jennifer's, you know, conditions are like, uh, what's like the lines they say back and forth? Everlasting true love, I am yours. Like Mm -hmm. pure 100% perfect devotion can never waver, have any other object of interest. Like that is 100% possessive and abusive Mm -hmm. behavior. Contrasted with the just absolute unconditional love from brown yeah definitely yeah they are foils yes we've done it again we've cracked the case (laughs) no i've cracked the case there was um so you know how like the secret the secret chapter uh, when you get like the quote-unquote good ending Mm -hmm. where you um are like kid jennifer and you go and find baby brown in the shed brown yep and something and i don't know if this was like intended but based on like all of the other things I witnessed in the game and like all the other like the the possessive behavior, the jealousy, all of this like malicious stuff influencing, you know, the relationships and turning them abusive. When Jennifer, because she ties Brown to the pole in the shed and then shuts the door on him and he's like in there like crying for her. And I think it might have been intended to be like um like oh she's gonna keep you know the memory of brown safe like in her yeah. heart forever because now she has the memory back but a part of me was also like this is it, it felt like i was like panicking a little bit i was like why is she now turning possessive and creepy you know what mm. i mean like for a split second there was a part of me where it's like why are you tying him up and locking him away because that's what wendy wanted wanted to do to you that's what gregory did to you you know what i mean mm. like it was like a weird <laughs> just a split second eerie feeling but yeah i i definitely i definitely felt that as well i'm not really the ending definitely had me of like two minds because it is like there's a lot of different parts that could just be like symbolism it's like this is her i don't know closing the door on this chapter of her life this is so many things it could be happening right now she's Mm -hmm. just kind of protecting brown and just like keeping her or keeping brown like tucked away in her brain or whatever i don't really know but it did it was like weirdly unsettling or upsetting in some way. Maybe it's because Brown is just like crying and like not crying, but like, you know, doing little baby barks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jennifer's leaving. It's like not necessarily what maybe we want as the audience. Like maybe we want them to be together and we're kind of acknowledging that they're, I don't know, forever separated because of that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I almost would have felt better if she had like carried him off with her out of the shed, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, especially because like that that same like logic of, "Oh, I have to keep you locked in here to protect you." That's what Gregory was doing to her. 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's true. So it's, yeah, it just like gave me the heebie jeebies. Maybe you don't bit. want a little puppy brown running around wild in your brain. Might accidentally well, yeah. trigger certain well, things. Yeah. yeah, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up, uh, I, I agree, but I kind of forgot about it, the classism aspect of this game. So I'll let you discuss yeah. what you noticed. Yeah. So a lot of the, as we've stated over and over and over again, a lot of the um, relationships that you see between characters in the game are like representations of different types of abuse, you know, between people and animals, adults and children, children and adults. But um, I also think it's interesting how we have a clear dynamic that represents classism. So you have, you know, the separation of the aristocrats in the red crayon. Aristocrats of the red crayon. The aristocrats of the red crayon. I always forget what the club is called. We'll just call Mm -hmm. it the club. You can just call it the aristocracy as well. Yeah. Whatever. So, So you have the aristocracy, right? And then you have the filthy beggars who are the lower class. So that would be Jennifer and Amanda are the only two that we see named in that category. Right. Repeatedly. And I just think it's interesting how... Like, so like in the game, and it like mirrors real life, you know, where you have the lower class who is constantly exploited for the upper class's entertainment or, you know, to to take advantage of their like labor, I guess. Yeah. And the ability to break out of the lower class is something that is constantly promised by the aristocracy in in real life and in this in this game, you know, where we have the situation where like, oh, if you perform this task well enough. You know, they they dangle it over Amanda and Jennifer like a carrot, mm-hmm. but it's clear that they're never going to be allowed to cross that line because if everybody gets to be an aristocrat, then what's the point? Because you don't have anybody to like lord your title yeah, over yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we also have this concept again that that mirrors real life, where we have um this friction that is artificially introduced between Jennifer and Amanda by the aristocrats like pitting them against each other mm-hmm. with the rat stick, <laughs> the mm-hmm. dead rat stick. Right. Um, they kind of try to convince each other that they're the enemy of them and not right. the upper class being the enemy of them. Yeah. Yeah. And and you have situations where like, I mean, not to get too real for a second, but in the United States, um, we're like growing up, I heard things like, like, oh, like we don't, we don't blame the rich people, but it's those dirty immigrants that are stealing our jobs. Like we, <laughs> yeah, we need yeah, to yeah. be worried about the immigrants and not the, you know, corrupt upper class or anything like that. It's the oh, same yeah. like bullshit that you see in real life. Um, what do you call that? Deflecting? I don't know what, maybe there's a um, different word, right? Scapegoating. Scapegoating. Maybe. I think um, that's it. I think that's the word I'm looking for. And, oh, I feel like there's another term that's related to like the the concept and like the process of turning against people in your own class but i don't i don't remember what it is maybe there's not even a term for it i'm just crazy okay (laughs) but um but yeah that that like concept of being instead of being allowed to uh you know unify against your oppressors you are instead constantly pitted against each other and so right you know, yeah. instead of addressing the real problem, like Amanda is like caught up in this this fantasy of being able to ascend to the aristocrat level, whatever. Um, and then we also have a moment where Jennifer finally uh, and violently rejects the power structures that have been tormenting her this whole time. And that's when she slaps Wendy. And so that's like, um, I think there was an analysis I watched on um, 
this game, I'll recommend it towards the end of the episode because it's very good. Um, but in in that instant where she slaps Wendy and like the camera angle kind of tilts and um, you can see like like the color <laughs> the color scheme on the screen, you have like Jennifer and a stripe of blue. There's a stripe of white between them and a stripe of red over Wendy, mm. which is kind of like is that the French flag? I don't know. I could be dumb. I think but, that is the French flag. Yeah. But it it is, and this game is set in the 1930s, which is very, you know, on purpose <laughs> because this was a time of like unrest in Europe and, and like a lot of revolutions, which you mentioned when we were discussing our earlier point, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out. I thought it was interesting that there's like that whole other layer to everything going on too. No, I think that's, that's good. Cause I kind of, it just kind of, glossed over me when i was thinking of the different themes of the game but yeah, yeah classism is kind of at the forefront so it's interesting that we don't really see too much of the other children yeah i, well, I don't I thought... know it was maybe unnecessary but yeah mm-hmm. yeah i was kind of wondering because it seems like so imbalanced right where you have like so many names listed under the aristocrat arist- aristocrat category and then mm-hmm. only two lower class but then i started thinking about okay what what would happen if we had like a bigger group of kids in the lower class and i think if you have too many characters in that same bracket it it takes away from you know like how they kind of want you to hate amanda and then to think critically about why you hate amanda if you had that like focus on amanda divided into like a bunch of different lower class characters i don't think it would have been as strong yeah the game's not long enough to spend time with Mm -hmm. too many other characters i think so yeah it's so i think it being just two of them is like a good way Mm -hmm. to like really explore that dynamic and they'll sprinkle in other children from time to time like reacting to things in the world or whatever. Um, kind of implying that they're involved in the same sort of, you know, different points in the hierarchy based off. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. I think that covers our discussion of the various themes. I wanted to talk to you about some of the symbolism in the game. I wanted to get your opinion on any of it because I didn't really find any definitive answer when I was just thinking of it on my own. But specifically the rose you know, like the rose symbolism throughout the entire game, but also some of the like fish and whale symbolism that is in the uh, like opening cutscene. We see a whale kind of like flying through the sky, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess kind of in place of a blimp. I don't really know. But then there's like a lot of chapters with like fish shit going on. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's not tied together. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you start with either one because sure. you have some some theories. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and start with the rose symbolism. So my argument for the roses is just basically that they symbolize kind of what you would expect them to, which would be like intimacy, like romantic attraction, romantic feelings. Um, And then I would say that like red is a color associated with like passion and like life, vitality, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Love Um, and hatred or violence, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, And red being passion and when you think about passion you think about how passion heightens any other (coughs) emotions associated with it like like (coughs) hate is a passionate emotion emotion just as much as love is a passionate emotion right and that's something that i would associate with wendy like i think that makes perfect sense because her passionate 
obsession with Jennifer, um, you know, turns from love into this possessive jealousy and then maybe eventually onto hatred. Um, uh-huh. And then also when Wendy and Jennifer are exchanging like their first like gifts to each other or whatever, where Jennifer, you know, gives her the teddy bear that she names Joshua, that Wendy names Joshua. And then uh, Wendy gives Jennifer a red brooch and the brooch has roses on it. Um, so that's like kind of like a symbol of like that, like passion, those passionate feelings and like that, that love. Um, and then Wendy also forms the um, like the red crayon aristocrats. And that's, you know, obviously based on the color red. Um, and then we also have, you know, Wendy offering uh, Jennifer the bouquet of roses once Brown is dead as a symbol of like, oh, it's okay. Like you're, we've like fixed your mistake. You're welcome back into the fold. You're welcome back into my good graces sort of a thing. Mm. Um, and then this might be like kind of a corny comparison to make, but, you know, red is also the color of blood yes. and yeah. the color of um, the red bird feathers. Mm-hmm. And also the red crayon scribbles that they put all over Jennifer after. Oh, and they like stuff her mouth full of red crayons. Stuff, like yeah, when she yeah. wakes up tied to the pole, that's like. Because I she... think that um, that was for finding Joshua, I think. Yes. And, and then Amanda accusing her of stealing it. And they're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, also the reward for finding Joshua was a red crayon, which I guess implied like a bump in status. Yes. Um, but it turned out to be some sort of cruel punishment. Yeah, they used it. They mocked her mm-hmm. with it instead. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so that like red being associated with passion, and then the crimes, the abuse in in the uh, game being like a result of of passion, all makes sense to have that that color red unifying everything. Um, so that's what I think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, do you want to talk about the whale stuff? Yeah, give me the fish sure. business. Okay, so. In your question, you said whale, and I so I started trying to research like um, th- like what significance do whales hold <laughs> in Japanese culture? Because I was like, well, they're <laughs> Japanese developers. That's probably a good place to start. Um, and I found that so because of like the whaling industry, and I'm not going to make any sort of like moral statement about the whaling industry. I know there's a lot of people who hate it. We're not here to talk about that. But historically speaking, in Japan, the whaling in- industry is associated with the god Ebisu, who is the god of wealth and prosperity and good fortune, which makes sense because like when you kill something as big as a whale and then, you know, you can like sell all of its, yeah, yeah. Good times, good times for your village probably. But (laughs) then I rewatched the cutscene. Holy shit, how are we going to store all this whale meat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We have to sell it all. And you guys got to an extra helping of yeah. whale meat. It's going to go bad. Can stuff your face with this blubber. Yeah. Um, but upon rewatching that opening scene with the quote unquote whale, it's not a whale. It's a fish. And it's mm. it's like a koi. Um, mm. So based on the there's a few um, other instances of koi imagery in the game. Aside from that, that opening cutscene, um, in which it like slowly flies through the sky over top the orphanage, um, one of those times, there is a koi in the aquarium in Hoffman's like office area. Okay. And when you look in the tank, you can see that it's also swimming above like a teeny little 
model version of the orphanage there too which Dang. i thought was interesting there's quite a lot of these suckers in the game they weren't being very coy about it <laughs> oh such a dad joke oh my god um <laughs> <laughs> anyway and this koi ends up getting cut in half and its bottom half is merged with a little doll who also gets cut in half and that forms the mermaid that represents clara mm, uh -huh. so i was kind of wondering i was like okay does this represent like maybe like you know you have this giant intimidating koi flying over the orphanage maybe like casting a shadow on it is it like a symbol of like the impending threat of sexual assault i don't know like, is it know. sort of like a foreboding sort of thing? But then there's also a crayon drawing, not a red crayon drawing, just a normal one, that's like taped up on a wall in like one of the, maybe like an infirmary room or something. I don't exactly remember where it is. Um, and it's like a drawing of a bunch of little kids from the orphanage flying away on the back of the koi. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's not you know, this like symbol of like a threat, maybe it's like the desire to escape like where they are. Because mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what, what it looked like the kids were doing in the picture. And then also, if you think about Clara's situation, her becoming the mermaid and, and you know, like fusing with the koi and then like the slits on her wrists and, and suicide, maybe maybe that was her like escape. I don't know. That's maybe. that's all I got. That's the best I could come up with. <laughs> That's all I got. Everybody. That's all I got. <laughs> well, I feel like there's got to be something kind of like more definitive out there. As, yeah. You know, because it's like pretty, it's, it's intentional. Like it's, it's, it appears in all these places. It's definitely meant to be some sort of takeaway from that. Yeah. Um, maybe the guy just liked koi fish making the game. He's like, a, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Koi fish. There um, is, um, this is going to sound so random. But the only there, there's another like clear example I can think of of like a koi being used as a symbol for something in Japanese media. I just didn't take the time to go back and rewatch it. No, wait, there's multiple. Do you remember Angel's Egg? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the fish shadows and like the fishermen running, chasing the fish shadows and like spearing them? I gotta be honest. I was pretty delirious when we watched okay. Angel's Egg. <laughs> well, that's all right. I if, kind if, of just remember that I watched it and nothing that happened, which okay. is kind of, I assume, what most people remember when they watch it. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I believe in that movie, I think the Koi Shadows were supposed to represent chasing after, like, like, like in pursuit of, like, an idea you know, I don't know how to explain it. It's a crazy concept <laughs> that I can't quite put into words. Like, like pursuing like religious ideals, maybe is is maybe mm -hmm. the way I might try to like explain it. Angel's like, egg is wild. Yeah, Jeez. if you haven't seen it, go. It's on YouTube. Whole mm -hmm. thing, very interesting. If I'm you want to, recently decided that I wanted to go through and watch all of the uh, Studio Ghibli movies. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna start that here soon. I'm gonna go in chronological order. Okay, so. The only one I've seen is Howl's Moving Castle, and I thought that was a delight. So mm -hmm. I would recommend that one. Oh, yeah, I've noticed. So I've seen Spirited Away. Spirited Away scared me shitless as a kid oh, because no. early on the girl loses her parents and they turn into pigs and try to attack oh, yeah. her, which scared me. There's something oh, yeah. so scary about being, when you're a child, the thought of losing your parents 
is like the worst thing that could happen to you because they're like yeah. they're the only thing keeping system. you alive right now right yeah right uh so that's that stuck with me for a very long time oh did i see anything else from them i mean like ponyo that might have some koi symbolism fish probably it's a fish girl right <laughs> i think so i didn't see it i just kind of remember that being oh i must have seen one of them no maybe i just got scared by spirited away and that was enough for me <laughs> and you're like that's enough for me mm-hmm. but um, they focus on the young girls a lot like that's yeah. usually the main character and i feel like from what i remember it's done in a very uh i don't know like it's not done in a way that most people focus on like girl stories where it's like they just feel like children as opposed to girls you know what i mean yeah yeah which is really unique i feel like but yeah yeah i appreciate that mm-hmm. um but then the last the last case of like i guess koi symbolism i was going to mention um is this other animated sh- i don't know if i want to call it a short it's 30 minutes long um and it's also up on youtube you can watch the whole thing it is twilight q part 2 mystery case and it's basically about this like small girl who is like shut up in an apartment with her father and she like summons giant fish in the sky or something and that's strange and it's implied that she's like a a baby god baby god and like her her father is like a a um begrudging caretaker and he eventually discovers that he's not actually her father and it's like this weird like groundhog day cycle thing anyway if you're interested in that go watch it (laughs) old anime what is why is it so like it's so much better i mean i'm not like a big anime well i guess i am now thanks morgan um (laughs) but it just looks so crispy and textured and like there's just so much personality in it yeah and like the color palettes are so good Mm -hmm. the um yeah as soon as they made the transition to i guess animating digitally instead Mm -hmm. of like with like paper and like the cells yeah and all that um they kind of went a little bit too off the rails with the color palettes Mm -hmm. um but back when it was Mm -hmm. like a lot of pastels and stuff that like really worked together i I love that stuff so much i love it Mm -hmm. galaxy express 999 that's another fun anime movie oh that's a good one vampire hunter d bloodlust is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in my life so those are two films that i would recommend Mm -hmm. if anyone in our audience is interested (laughs) <laughs> do you think that like 2D animation used to be more beautiful because it had to be? What do you mean had to be? Like there was less things to assist you in the creation of it. Like it was such a painstaking, grueling process that maybe it had to be more thought out. I, I don't know. Maybe. Also, I appreciate, I, I will always appreciate 2D more than like um like realistic 3D effects. Not to disrespect people, you know, who put the time and energy to that. That's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. But you can draw literally anything you can imagine. Right. Yeah. And and stylize it in a way that looks interesting and like good. And it, it's well, hard to can. make something. I cannot draw anything I imagine. Well. <laughs> Let me just put throw that out there real quick. It it's it's harder to make something realistic, probably, but like when something has like style that like sticks with you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I've seen so many fiery explosions, but if I see like you know, a fire, ex- fiery explosion in Howl's Moving Castle. I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. I've never seen fire look like that before. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway. I watched a video on the process of like animating certain, animating different things. And it's like for a lot of things you might go like, 
for different poses and then animate the in between to like yeah. get from point A to point B. But then for things like fire and like organic things, you might just go frame by frame and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, so interesting. And yeah. Effects have a lot of leeway for like improvisation. Mm -hmm. and that's, I think that's neat. Yeah. I'm uh, I mean, very interested in diving into like some, this kind of happened whenever I, I, I got some like Pokemon VHSs and I told Morgan about this, but <laughs> I'm kind of like interested in the idea of like going back through some like older anime films and stuff like that through like a physical medium uh like vhs or dvd or something just to kind of i don't know get it nice and crunchy authentically crunchy are you then gonna like digitize them like you have been with your home videos? i mean i could or? if yeah. i wanted to uh give back to the i don't know pirate waters of the internet <laughs> um yeah but probably probably not yeah uh it's not super like i could do that with pokemon and i was like oh i should do this because tapes degrade and stuff and then they I'm do like, man the pokemon company has every episode of pokemon available for free to stream from their website yeah. it's like why am i why would i go through the trouble to get like yeah. a super crunchy ass recording from this vhs tape when they have such a clean rip of it yeah it's just, that's a good point <laughs> it is a little silly yeah Often unnecessary, I guess. I, I mean, if I wanted to preserve it for my own sake, I guess, if I felt like it wasn't going to be available to have like rips of things just on like a home NAS, but that's a lot of work, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like an automated process. You got to sit there, you got to sit your ass down, oh, press no. record, and let it go through the entire tape. I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah. You got to capture the entire tape. So yeah, um, probably not. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'd probably just that, you know probably just watch it. <laughs> okay, enjoy um, it. Yeah, I'd probably just enjoy it. But yeah, I'm interested. Uh, I don't know if you have any like recommendations for anything in particular. I know we've seen like we've both seen Galaxy Express and Akira and Ghost in the oh, Shell at this point. Yeah, yeah, Akira definitely a good one. Ghost in the Shell. I mean, those two are like relatively famous i don't really see people talk about galaxy express 999 that much i've seen or some angel's yeah, egg yeah. Or... angel's egg is fucking wild though i mean yeah <laughs> or that'd be, a cool, that'd be a cool vhs to own have on display somewhere yeah i'm yeah. sure it's probably like super rare but I... it's like i said it's on youtube for some mm -hmm. reason here's the thing <laughs> some vhs's fucking two dollars uh <laughs> yeah but like some some of them like i think akira is fairly expensive mm. it's just i think it depends on like the demand and the popularity and all this stuff uh, yeah i'm just gonna out of curiosity cure a vhs and then as far as like older sorry <laughs> no you're fine older anime as far as the older anime goes um i was really struck by revolutionary girl utena which i think is a big hit on tumblr if you like lesbians <laughs> you will probably like revolutionary, revolutionary girl utena um i'm trying to think if there's anything else mm. oh uh iria uh Iria. i think there's like maybe eight episodes of iria i don't remember the full title of the show mm -hmm. um but i really like the art style yeah it's iria zayram um but if you just look up iria i-r-a-i um you'll find it and i think that whole series is also on youtube you can just watch it yeah 
I felt like this sometimes happened in college where foreign films and television and stuff kind of just became more interesting to me. Yeah. For like a period because it just felt so novel. Yeah, like, that's why I like it. <laughs> there's something so attractive about like discovering uh, like a different culture's like media and it vibes with you in a specific way. And it's like, this is a part of my brain that was never itched by the culture that I grew up right? in. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on that right now. But as you can tell with my, uh, with my your digital manga stacks of manga yeah. and yeah. fucking all this other shit you've done to me. Uh, Sorry. But yeah. All right, let's let's get on to uh, let's get back to rule the rose talk mechanics and level design. This is as we've alluded to. We hate playing this game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it, the gameplay is awful ass. But um, what was your what was your go to weapon? Did you have the anything? pipe? Yeah, the pipe. The pipe is like the with only the choice. reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you cannot walk around with a knife. You can barely hit anything with a pipe. So you gotta. I mean. The idea of taking something that has even less range than that is horrific. I think yeah. it does less damage. Eventually, it got replaced by the shovel for me mm-hmm. in my playthrough. But um, yeah, you just need something with a bit of reach. I didn't even mess around with like the knives or anything, I don't think. Nope. But, yeah. Um, for you, what was the most difficult aspect or section of the game? The... Um... The mermaid boss fight was what made me quit. Oh yeah, so that's right. I guess that's. <laughs> or I was like, "Fuck this!" I don't want so, for those who have not played the game, the mermaid boss fight consists of you fighting this mermaid who's dangling from the ceiling in a tiny, tiny room, and basically her like attacks and movement consist of like dropping down randomly, or maybe I think they tried to like go where Jennifer was. I'm not sure, but. They drop down into the room, they vomit, which if you get caught mm-hmm. in, good fucking luck, because that'll just <laughs> constantly tick damage on you. Uh, swipe at you occasionally. It's just really annoying. And then repeat, just like go back up and down, swipe, vomit. And you have time to get like maybe one hit in if you're if you're lucky, two potentially. Sometimes you just don't go for any because of where she ends up in the room and she just kind of vomits all around her and you can't really get to her. This goes on for maybe like 10 minutes. I don't even know. I don't know if that's an exaggeration or underestimate, but... It feels like an eternity. It is so long and it's so samey the entire time. I died once on this fight, like earnestly trying to beat it. And I assume that I was close to the end, but I just got dicked over and died um i slept on it came back and then it was i was able to beat it but i i was very close to giving up because i was i was not having a good time with the uh the moment to moment gameplay of this game um but yeah and was there any other there was one section the section right before the mermaid boss fight if you remember where there's just like enemy spam like mm-hmm. 50 fish fall down and you're just in this tiny hallway and you got to like run past them. It felt like a like a coin flip chance as to whether or not you were going to make it past mostly unscathed with enough health to like fight the boss. Right. And then some of the health items barely do anything mm-hmm. to help. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know if I 
no, I don't, I don't think I put this in here. So I'll, I guess I'll say it now, but like, what are like the main things that you think would help improve like the combat in the game? Cause I have a couple opinions, but I'll let you go first. So the enemies a lot of times have like a weird amount of invincibility frames mm-hmm. during their like attack animations. Get rid of those. Don't do that. Oh yeah. Cause like you um, can't, so Jennifer does a stomp animation. I'm not convinced you can hit anyone with that. I know. Yeah, you like really if can't. they're if they're on the floor and you're next to them, Jennifer will like stomp. I really don't think you can hit anybody with that. I think it's no. just a way. I I've never seen it work. No, so, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't either, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, speed up. I guess Jennifer's attack speed. Just make a, maybe some buffs to her combat. Mm-hmm. abilities in general i don't know because you know she either has pathetic range and she moves so slow mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like fumbling um maybe lower the boss's health and add a health bar so i can at least see how Honestly, close i am maybe like that might be a legitimate yeah and then don't and i think i remember having this issue with hoffman's boss fight don't put the boss because so the camera in this game it kind of switches between like some in some rooms it's fixed in some places it will sort of like follow after you um don't put the boss arena in a place where your camera angle is going to flip back and forth a whole bunch because it makes controlling really confusing yeah the camera's kind of fucked in this game that's some because like uh in a normal like fixed camera game like a resident evil or something or haunting ground or something like that where there was fixed camera aspects of it um the when you enter a room you could trust that the camera was always going to be in the same spot and you could kind of orient yourself around that whereas Mm -hmm. in this game in boss fights and also just exploration uh depending on like how you're moving or where you're going the camera will like flip around like if you enter a room through like a different door the camera's on like the other side of the room now and you just have no fucking idea where you are because everything yeah. looks the same. Uh, so you kind of want to be able to rely on just the consistent geometry of this room to just instantly recognize where you are. Yeah. Um, or like with the position of the camera and stuff. And in the mermaid boss fight, if you like, because sometimes the like the mermaid would pop down like kind of in between Jennifer and the camera so it's like kind of you can't really see what she's doing and it's like well i guess i'll just wait hope she pops down somewhere i can actually see her next time uh yeah stuff like that so it's so dumb i don't like the mix of like the fixed camera positioning but also like some amount of control yeah just Mm -hmm. do one or the other yeah i think my last suggestion was maybe make brown helpful in combat somehow Mm. i don't know because most of the time he was just an accidental roadblock where the enemies would get stuck on him (laughs) and flip out a little bit (laughs) i feel like in most boss fights so how many boss fights are in the game there's i don't remember so there's um hoffman yeah there's that goat boss fight, but that's kind of weird. That's like a mini boss sort of situation, I guess. Yeah, the mermaid. The mermaid and then the final boss. Oh, is that it? I think so. What about what who was the fight the boss for the bird section? Or was that the goat? No, the goat was the letter thing. I don't know if there was a boss for the bird section. For the bird. Maybe there wasn't. 
<laughs> that section, the boss fight for that section was running back and forth through very similar looking corridors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Turning it to the bird. That was fun. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Or figuring out what the fuck was going on. That was, I'm so glad I had a guide for that because I would not have <laughs> tolerated that nonsense. Yeah. Uh, some of it was, I remember like the final clue for that being so obscure. I think you had to do like, was it the mom and the dad? Mom plus dad equals. Yeah, you had to do like math. Me. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's not, those, those aren't numbers. Idiot. <laughs> um but yeah so most of these boss fights brown is just kind of dead on the floor yeah yeah <laughs> like straight well, dog saying, and maybe. Uh, mermaid just kind of useless mm-hmm. yeah it's weird i wasn't even really sure if i could use brown during fights like i just kind of either ran away or did my own thing like mm-hmm. i didn't really rely on him too much because he wasn't extremely reliable <laughs> he doesn't really do anything <laughs> He's good for sniffing, then that's about it. Yeah. I do have one thought uh, in regards to, like, health in the game. And I know that it's kind of like a staple of, like, survival horror games to have health items and health management. Yeah. But I kind of wonder how this game would feel with just regenerative health. Maybe. Instead of healing items? Yeah. Like, if you Mm. just avoid combat your health comes back and you're more worried about getting overwhelmed at that point than just kind of getting chip damage throughout the level because there's so much bullshit. (laughs) Like that might make like the unforgiving combat a little bit more tolerable because it kind of would suck to just be like running through a hallway, get grabbed. And it's like, okay, well I got a fucking, I got like, I don't know, one sixth of my health taken away and it's just, yeah kind of obnoxious there were points where i just reloaded because i lost some health and didn't want to use healing items and stuff like that i don't know maybe that alleviates some of that and kind of makes the bullshit more forgiving because yeah you well, walk maybe, away maybe, from it and and maybe if you didn't make the enemy set up so bullshit to begin with where mm-hmm. they just drop a horde of them on you yes you're like maybe that just too. don't do that you could also <laughs> change that part yeah um you could also make the combat good i mean that's another yeah. thing like I said, fix the animations and mm-hmm. and the invincibility frames. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think you if know. you're gonna have Jennifer limp, you can't just make, make it her... recoverable like over time or yeah, something. Yeah. So like <laughs> if if health recovered, it's like you take enough damage, you start limping, and then it's like you can't really run away, so you kind of have to deal with whatever's happening. But I, I don't know, or things get something. I I genuinely think regenerative health might help if nothing else changed about the game um but there's other things you could change about the game that i think would be impactful maybe mm-hmm. more so uh another issue is just like the very sparse sporadic save points this obviously was not too much of an issue for you save well i mean states. i still lost my patience with it because i yes. quit so yes. um but like honestly if you want to play this game and i don't know if you really need to but we'll get into that a little later uh emulator is probably the way to go for the save states because there are some long stretches of the game where you just don't have one and that kind of sucks because you gotta like retread like long stretches of the airship to just like get from your save point back to where you were and it's you gotta like go through the same story beats and stuff like that it's obnoxious i feel like this 
could have been like a padding thing because this is a fairly short game. You can beat it in like five hours. I probably, my clock was at like eight hours, I think. But that's because I spent a lot of time stopped looking at a guide, yeah. coming back, and then doing it. So I think that that ran up my clock. But it's really a short game, uh, especially for the time, I, I guess. Um, and I wonder if they were afraid of it being like under four hours or like too short, because mm -hmm. I wonder if like some of the bullshit is kind of padding in a way, like something that's just made to take more time by making you kind of like maybe die and backtrack and stuff like that. And like the extra long boss fights. Yeah. And also just like the space between everything, like, yeah. And the amount of running around you have to do. And how slow the running is, and how slow it is the animation to open a door. Yeah, can you just, just open, Jennifer? Yeah. You're being chased right now. Yeah, open the door. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that struck you as padding in the same way it struck me, but. Um, I found the gameplay loop. I guess this isn't really padding, but I found the gameplay loop to be like over simple and not entirely satisfying. No, and by the yeah. loop, I mean like. Find a thing. Okay, have Brown smell it. Follow Brown. Find mm -hmm. another thing. Give it to Brown. Mm -hmm. Follow Brown. <laughs> like, it's kind of like mindless because, like, Brown is doing all the work. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to put some thought into, like, if yeah. you're playing without a guide, you'd have to put some thought into what you're trying to find. And there is, like, a, a tip system with the bucket night and stuff like that. Right. It's just a little uninspired, I guess. Yeah, and I guess also since it kind of misses, I mean, I feel like maybe comparing this to Haunting Ground is kind of acceptable because they're both going for like dog-based game survival play. horror. Yeah, dog assistant. Um, but like with Haunting Ground, you kind of had that constant tension of like, where's my stalker? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the the they're like randomized movement. You didn't really know when you were going to encounter them. Mm -hmm. versus like the encounters in this game like it didn't have like the exciting tension of like oh my god i'm being chased i'm scared it was more just like oh fuck these guys mm -hmm. which i mean haunting ground it kind of gets to that point but like it's a little bit more of an of a tense exciting gameplay loop than in this game i guess I, i'd agree with that and i'd say that haunting ground tries to do less i guess by not having a a combat system really like it's really yeah. just hiding. Yeah. But there's there's more to it than just hiding. But mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. There's not like hordes of enemies that you have to slaughter or something. Uh, it's just like a single enemy for the most part in each section that you're avoiding. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give this. I'll give this one to Haunting Ground. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. I will say I don't know if I like had this. I don't think I had this anywhere, but. Uh, story-wise, I enjoyed both games quite a lot. I did enjoy this game's story more than Haunted Ground. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure if you would be on the same page as me, but yeah. No, I, I'd say like mentally speaking, <laughs> mentally, I mean, there's more for like my brain to chew on, mm -hmm. more substance to get a hold of with this story. And I think that's because like, <laughs> like it, because of the layers of like abuse and classism and then a haunting ground is like, Hey, this is, sh this is Fiona's really shitty day. 
<laughs> you know, wouldn't it be weird if your dad was a lab experiment and your creepy genetic uncle wanted to put a baby in you or something? Yeah, I don't wouldn't know. that suck? Uh, yeah, wouldn't yeah. that suck? Here, have a dog. Let's cry about it. Have a dog. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> it is a bit more. I mean, there is like a lot of deep, uh, seldom touched on stuff in Haunting Ground as well, with like mm-hmm. um, the sort of like nature of the horror being like forced impregnation and stuff like that. Right. And that's cool. It's very unique. And like putting you in the in the shoes of a defenseless woman. I mean, yeah. this game like kind of does that, but mm-hmm. it's it's like a defenseless like grown woman. Like Jennifer in this case, as far as we know, is never like an object of desire for Mr. Hoffman, even though that topic is still discussed. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that's like gross and icky and uncomfortable in this game, but like Fiona makes you like feel it. Like you're like, ooh, mm-hmm. ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agreed. And that is something that I I didn't cite anywhere, but I remember being discussed by some of the creators, uh, and that they were they were worried at the time of having a sort of helpless female protagonist main player uh that that would not be very appealing to like the general gaming audience at the time uh, well the general gaming audience needs to get better taste i guess so <laughs> i think that was part of i think i can't remember if that was part of the reason that they added brown or what but mm. yeah I don't, I don't know and again brown is kind of I guess Brown isn't like critical to the story as it, it is. It would as, be too. It would, it would be too bleak without him. Yeah, it would actually be pretty freaking bleak. Yeah, um, yeah. If you didn't have a little happy dog just kind of smiling at you all the time, right? Um, Your one reprieve mm, from everything else. It is so interesting that Haunted Ground and Rule of Rose came out so close to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, and that they have such a immediately apparent similarity in the the girl dog gameplay uh and also same genre and everything like that video games are not reactive in that way like they couldn't have like been like here's a haunting grounds trailer and then they're like oh let's make a rule of rose in two months Uh, really quick yeah it's like these are things that are in development for such a long time that they maybe have like a similar inspiration it may just be like a weird coincidence but Mm -hmm. it's interesting nonetheless yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, discuss this padding problem. All the gameplay does is get in the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did read one editorial and it fucking pissed me off because it's like the it's like the Resident Evil Defense Squad. Uh oh. for their like you see the game is hard to play and that makes it scarier. No. <laughs> does not. Uh makes it frustrating. Uh <laughs> is kind of my general point of that i'm really surprised that someone jumped to the defense of that i don't know for rule of rose specifically yeah for rule of rose specifically if you want to scroll down to uh the bottom the final reference you can see the article it's uh titled it's a it's an article on dread xp it's an editorial by joel coacher i'm coming after you joel um (laughs) (laughs) uh the title of the article is purposefully wretched the the thematic power of rule of roses combat no no disagree i'm gonna disagree (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna call cap on this one uh 
<laughs> the the thematic power of Rule of Rose are its themes. <laughs> yeah. And like in the story, like we don't have to it's impactful enough as like a story. Mm-hmm. This game is not bad if the combat is good. The game is better if the combat is good. Is better, yeah. 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 The combat is what makes the game bad. Mm-hmm. The story is what makes the game good. Also, like you can be oppressive to the player and still give them like good control over their character. Yeah. Like that is it's frustrating to not be able to do what you want. Like physically move around your character, manipulate them. Mm-hmm. If there's like things in the environment that oppress them, that's great. Enemies that oppress them, that's also great. Uh, but them oppressing themselves through just not being able to move them around is not very fun. No. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got to say. There's, you know, there's always someone. I feel like when people like something, they feel like they need to like all of it. Yeah. Or or maybe people people latch on to something and they're very uncomfortable with any criticism of it. Maybe. When you yeah. should be I mean, people are allowed to criticize things. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, Not everybody has to like the same things. That's okay. It's all right. I I would say that this <laughs> game is the story is so good that I would say that it's more good than bad, even though the gameplay is very bad. Yeah. Um I think that's where I would come down on it. All right. Um, so oh, one more question before we move on from the section. Mm. Um, how did you find navigation? Because I found sucked. it piss poor. Yeah, I sucked. hated it. That it map was, sucked. Yeah, the map was not helpful. Uh, no. <laughs> I pretty much relied... It's just so fucking difficult to get around. Uh, the airship is very, like, samey. It has mm-hmm. some unique areas, but again, with the camera changing perspectives and stuff like that, it's hard to tell... The difference between this corridor and the one that looks exactly like it on the opposite side of the ship, man, it is rough. It's hard to get around. And some places are like, and I get this, but like some places are sectioned off during certain chapters and aren't during other chapters. So like you can open a door, this chapter, you can't open it the next chapter. That's makes sense, but it kind of adds to the confusion sometimes. Yeah. It's definitely meant to help railroad the player, I assume, by giving them less options, less places to get lost in. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, uh, wait, this isn't where I thought it was. Wait, no, it is. I just can't open the door to this time. Yeah, it's it's confusing. Didn't like it. I think I've said all I can say about it, though. Are you ready to move on? I our, am. Our final section. Uh, yes. Atmosphere and setting. Um, I just kind of lumped in like any visual thoughts, comments, and stuff like that, aesthetic qualities to the game and to the section. Yeah. Uh, I'll start off by saying this game looks very good playing on original hardware through a CRT as well. The, uh, the CG cutscenes, I think particularly the, like the opening cutscene look pretty amazing. Some of these late PS2 games look real, real dang good, especially on like a nice CRT where you get that Gaussian blur. Everything's kind of smoothed over. It's like Vaseline on the screen. Everything's kind of <laughs> just like, I don't know. You you notice less of the the jaggies and like the pixelated edges because they're just kind of smoothing together all nice. Um, yeah, I would say at like a higher resolution, you definitely notice, especially like the plants. Yes. <laughs> There's some very jagged looking plants. Mm-hmm. Oh, and especially like the, the cutscenes, which you can't scale up, uh, you know, like... When it's not like an in-game cutscene, it's just 
whatever resolution it is so mm -hmm. you don't get like a, a nice upscaled version of it but um yeah I, I found the music very uh pleasant and unnerving especially that the the love suicide main theme very nice i don't know if you went took the time to read the lyrics but no pretty good that's kind of just you know almost in some ways a description of the game itself um <laughs> but morgan i wonder to know if you agree with me on this it gave me a fallout vibes with sort of like the old timey crackly music that's yeah. sort of like very depressing <laughs> yeah it, it it gave um like, like great depression <laughs> vibes and the palettes are all very brown mm -hmm. and gray and bleak and sad and dark and depressing just like fallout 3 yes um so yeah yeah i would agree with you there mm -hmm. i don't know if there's this is potentially a hardware limitation but i noticed that a lot of the sound effects and whatever kind of were felt they crunchy they were a little crunchy in a yeah. way that i remember tulip feeling very crunchy and that's kind of what yeah. i associated it with at the time mm -hmm. a lot of these sounds sound like they could be in tulip I can't think of like a good example off the top of my head, but like, like the snickering and stuff like that. Like when you hear oh, kids yeah. snicker. Oh yeah, yeah. Tulip vibes. I don't know. I I feel like compressed audio is like a uh, a necessity of like storing your game on a disc and like fitting everything on there, like a space thing. I I don't know. I I'm not super well versed on development limitations of this hardware, but um that's what i would have to guess um is the cause and not just you know oversight or something like that another interesting thing i noticed this is a very like common trend in games today is to have sort of like motion blur and film grain and stuff mm -hmm. things that try to you know emulate how how light captured looks through like a film camera which is neat and I think has its place, but some people hate. Um, this game has a uh, a film grain setting, and I kind of wonder if this is like an early instance of this, because I feel like it really took off during like the PS3 era. Mass Effect. Mass Effect, Mass Effect has like a grain, mm -hmm. a film grain sort of thing going on. Yeah. yeah, so we have an early example of this uh, somewhat hated trend in gaming. I don't know if you like have any... <laughs> I know you don't. I, I was going to say, I don't really have an opinion on if this. If there's one thing I know about Morgan, it's that she will put up with whatever the default setting is. <laughs> I do. <yeah. laughs> Actually, no, in Mass Effect, I do turn off the film grain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair. It, yeah, that, that was like a little bit too much. Um, and then in Spyro Reignited Trilogy, I put I turned back on the classic soundtrack because oh, I, love, okay. I love that classic Stuart Copeland soundtrack. Fair. So. I think those are the, the only two big things I can think of, though. <laughs> I don't know if we've hit on this at any point in the podcast. I don't think we have. But we need to discuss how different we are when it comes to, like, <laughs> gaming setups and, like, what we tolerate and stuff like that. I am, like, I will tolerate whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just, like, who give a shit? And then Clayton needs everything. It has to be precise. Yes. <laughs> or, or, like, um... What's the thing? Inverted. Oh yeah, I played the inverted. inverted y. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I just, I just adapt to mm -hmm. whatever the game's default is. Like, I'll just mm -hmm. remap my brain to make it fit to what the game wants me to do. Yeah, 
um you are the meme of like this is really all a guy needs to be happy and it's like a tv <laughs> on the floor held up by like a pot and a box or oh my something. god no but you're so right and if you talk to my husband about this he would he complains about this about me specifically all the time he's like you have to like you have to care you have to make your environment more comfortable for yourself and he will <laughs> go out of his way to do it for me yeah because god knows i'm not gonna do it so it's it's funny because i am i'm like a thousand miles in the opposite direction on this specific <laughs> issue to where i frequently i have gone through so many iterations of the same setup trying to like fine-tune every fucking you're constantly it. tweaking it yeah it's yeah it's a nightmare i don't know if i'll ever be happy so i guess i'm jealous of you um, oh then i'm just content <laughs> i'll just put up with whatever yeah i'm just happy to be here yeah, i don't I'm know just... <laughs> You've literally had setups where you're just like playing on the floor. On the floor. And it was giving me back problems and I didn't do a damn thing about it. <laughs> I moved in with my husband who, who made sure I got a standing desk and an actual chair with back support. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm doing better. How many times? How many Actually, setups no. have you had? Oh, no. You we go did, ahead. We did buy, we, we did go to Ikea and buy the Mickey. Oh yeah, I was the there. Desk. Yeah, yeah, the desk is called the Mickey. But remember, that was Sage pushing me to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I went and did it. And and then I still didn't even have a chair with back support because I was using this upstairs for work, the chair, my current gamer chair. Mm -hmm. um, I've had all my college setups were hot garbage. The floor TV at my mom's house was probably the worst. That was the peak. I remember... <laughs> God, it was like, I kind of thought you were messing with us at first when you sent us that picture. I was like... <laughs> I was I like rate my setup and it was just this tiny TV on the floor. I think we had to like pull it out of you. I don't know if you like... Because I think you're like, oh man, my back is killing me and all this stuff. And you're like playing games on the floor. I, it, Hunched over like a gremlin. I just don't understand. Like, Well, and part of why I was doing that, and this is so bad, but so I had... The X so the Xbox controller I have now, you can it has like a charging cord. You can plug it into the Xbox. It charges itself. You don't have to replace the batteries. Okay. The Xbox controller I had was this used controller I had got from Sage, who got it from Gavin. And it was so worn down <laughs> that one of the thumbsticks was like didn't have like the edge around it anymore because it had been used so much. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I was I couldn't get up the gumption to go buy double A batteries to replace like to like put in the controller and the only cable i had to plug the controller into my xbox was this like two foot long <laughs> <laughs> so i had to sit there on the floor with the tv because i had to be two feet away from my xbox <laughs> because i couldn't and i will say that there was a giant wall-mounted flat screen tv in my bedroom and i was playing on the floor below it with a tiny tv because I couldn't, I wouldn't get the batteries so that I could actually sit farther back and enjoy the big flat screen on the wall. There's thousands of solutions to what you're describing. <laughs> I know. I mean, I like understand. all of them solve it and make this situation better. But <laughs> I am like a little bit mentally ill, though. <laughs> like, I mean, I gotta be honest. Not that that's an excuse, but. <laughs> I don't want to make too much fun of you because I, in some ways, I do envy your level of contentness. Okay. And just being able to sit down and enjoy a game and not yeah. have to have like 
thousands of dollars of fucking equipment to be able to switch between two consoles that you barely play. Um, right. <laughs> which is what I have to do for some reason. Uh, you don't have to like scour eBay for just like no. 20 year old pieces of AV equipment. It's a much better existence you're living. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just plug in and go. Yeah, just download an emulator. Much right. better. <laughs> yeah. Everyone listening, do that. Don't don't be like me. Uh, no, no, but I totally we totally have like a physical library um, and like physical copies of the thing. Did I say emulator? I meant authentic PlayStation 2 with authentic PlayStation 2 discs yeah. that were bought at full retail price supporting the developers 100 um, percent right yes anyway anyway <laughs> let's move on to our next topic um oh yeah so this game is not scary no am i am i right yeah it's like yeah you're right it's not no. it's it's unsettling mm-hmm. it's not scary. disturbing yeah yeah so yeah. is it does horror still feel like a fitting title i guess psychological horror is kind of like a different genre yeah yeah i would call it yeah it's more it's definitely more psychological Mm -hmm. than like jump scare Mm -hmm. crap your pants you're not gonna crap your pants Mm -hmm. playing this game and it's partially because there's not like jump scares you know there's not like pursuers and like there is an haunting ground Mm -hmm. um you're not often when you're when you're threatened it's not really scary kind of game it's just annoying it's annoying it's gamey it's 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 not like it takes me out of the moment in some ways i think part of this is from on my part as the player like the perceived lack of rules in this universe because it's so wacky it feels like i don't understand how it's grounded and therefore i'm not super invested in the stakes Mm -hmm. because it feels like there are no stakes yeah i don't know if that resonates with you in any way because i i can't think of like something similar but like but sort of like in marvel films and stuff like that where things are getting like way too wacky now and like we're so in such different dimensions that i just do not care anymore like mm-hmm. you kind of lose any sense of like multiverse uh, fatigue yeah something like that um like we saw like the most recent ant-man and they were like in they were like helping these people in a different dimension with like a revolution or something like that and i'm like these are like tiny people who live on like an atom i gotta be honest i don't care yeah (laughs) i just don't care it's so far removed from like real life that it's i'm not worried it's whatever like Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's good or bad but yeah oh where is it facial animations oh yes so another, yeah, the hang-up that I had was with the, uh, not necessarily the opening cutscene. I felt like the opening cutscene had a decent amount of polish. There is a quality to the facial animations and the, I guess, like, I guess just the general, like, character animations that is, like, Uncanny Valley territory. And I don't know if it was meant to be in a way where it's unsettling, like um, when they get like really smiley or something like like Amanda mm-hmm. and stuff in certain scenes. Um, but it didn't really strike me as scary or unsettling. Kind of just looked a little like amateurish. Um, yeah, there's something kind of like 
theatrical and over-exaggerated about it. Yeah. And, you know, the thing it, like, almost kind of reminds me of, and you're probably not going to have a frame of reference for this because we haven't played the game yet, but Clock Tower. Okay. Clock Tower 3, sorry, specifically, is, like, well, it's way more over the top. Um, But, it's yeah, it sort of has, like, that similar... Or like something about it. Maybe maybe there was like some mocap work done, and it just like feels kind of weird mm-hmm. seeing these game models sort of like move in that way. I don't know. I, it but. reminds me of source filmmaker stuff that I've seen. Okay, with just like I don't know, like the Team Fortress Two scout making mm-hmm. like a weirdly like I don't know, like a, a like a five inch smile grit. That's kind of what some of this oh, feels yeah. like. Where yeah, it's like I get that. Pushing some of the bounds of like facial movements too far in a way that just like triggers something in our brain, I guess. I, I, I don't know. As a human, where it's just like, this looks off and taken out of the moment. Right. Um, yeah, that's maybe too harsh. And it's also probably just a factor of like, you know, this is early in 3D animation still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah oh we talked about similarities between this game and haunting ground a little bit but did we discuss any of this oh yeah um we kind of discussed the similarity with like the moment you give brown the collar is very similar to the moment you give huey the collar yeah that's uh like a little sound plays and stuff like that definitely more beautiful in haunting ground Mm -hmm. I, i would say um but yeah i again just like surprisingly similar i guess if you've made it this far with the similarities, then going the extra step of having a moment where you give the dog the collar is not that crazy. So, I don't know. But uh, one difference I felt like between this game and Haunting Ground is the sort of, uh, the isolation that you feel in Haunting Ground is like very oppressive and definitely makes that game feel more scary. Whereas this game... It feels like you're around a bunch of people who just hate you, um, which is, yeah. I guess, less scary. I don't know. <laughs> Better than I being mean, Haunted alone. Ground. In Haunted Ground, like your stalkers, you feel like they kind of hate you, or like yeah, but I there's mean, just one of them. But yeah, and that's they're not true. around all the time. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're rarely alone in this game. There's normally like a section where like, uh oh, something dark happened, and now all the gremlin dudes are out. Um, mm-hmm. And then it ends, and then everything's kind of back to quote unquote normal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you said the the AI was too stupid, which I I kind of agree with as well. Like if they had something about them where they were like able to chase you and pursue you, and were actually like a threat that you wanted to avoid, but they would kind of like be on your tail for a long time. Mm-hmm. But they're just like stupid little gremlin dudes. Yeah, they feel kind of mindless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're very, like, they're jukeable for the most part. Mm. This sort of similarity between uh, this game and Haunting Ground was mentioned in the Gamasutra interview. Um, and it was asked to the team. Um, and they were like, oh, yes, we noticed that people think it's similar. Um, but they weren't too worried because they were like, that's more of an action-based game, and we use Brown for very exciting things like finding puzzles or finding uh, mysteries and solving puzzles and stuff like that. And I thought that that was you a- mean 
giving him something to sniff and then following him. Yeah, it's a bit of the puzzle. over-exaggeration of what you're doing with Brown. The dog yeah. gameplay is not that exciting. No. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, everything else to add on the Haunting Ground similarities. Nope. All right. Um, I left one quote in here. Very impactful quote from the uh, the pair of scissors that free you uh, from your first trap in the game. Uh, it may have been better to be bound than to be free to feel pain. Damn. Yeah, don't play this game. Just just leave it. <laughs> just don't open. Just take the scissors advice and just don't even open them. <laughs> <laughs> just watch stay them. stay bound in your ignorance mm-hmm. instead of playing this game <laughs> um i found that funny i don't know if it was meant to be funny but the scissors talking to you and just kind of speaking it, in it, profound ways it's something that i feel like you would see on like an edgy 14 year old's myspace page back yeah. in the early 2000s i'm 14 and they would be this is so this fucking is deep. deep yeah this is so deep mm-hmm. <laughs> like really think about it for a while and you'll understand how deep it is um, okay. <laughs> anyway, I think that. Sorry. <laughs> he just like changed the formatting of the Google Doc for a second. I was like, whoa, holy crap. <laughs> uh, I think that covers Haunted Grand. Let's move on to the recommendations. All right. Where can you play this game? PlayStation 2, bitches. You better be willing to <laughs> po- pony up 800 bones to play this one. Uh, so, yeah, that's not happening. Um, just emulate the game, guys. Uh, I mean, don't do that. <laughs> that's that's wrong. Uh, we only um, are proponents of legally obtaining copies of games here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, pay the eight hundred dollars if you want to play. Can you imagine sure. paying eight hundred dollars for a game and then taking the disc and putting it in your PlayStation Two? That's unfathomable. Mm-hmm. I would be afraid that my PS2 would like grow teeth and grind it up into dust exactly. somehow. Like magically. Some of these games are so expensive that it's like I feel like I can't play it. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It costs more than both modern consoles combined. It's just yeah. <laughs> It's wild. Um so yeah, it's a collector's item. It's not a disc to be played with anymore. Um No. So yeah. If you want to play, I don't need, okay, let's get into the recommendation. Do you need to play this game or can I let you go first? Okay, so here's here's what I think I'm going to suggest instead. The, the thing you want with this game is you want to experience the story. And you can do that by watching a playthrough. And after you watch a playthrough, then you're probably going to want to analyze it. Maybe, maybe think about it, let it roll around in your brain for a little while. And... Maybe during or after that process, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to look up Ragnar Rocks, R-O-X for Rocks on YouTube, because he has a fantastic analysis of this game that I would absolutely recommend everybody to go watch. Mm. So I noticed that there's quite a bit when it comes to uh, video essays explaining Roll Rose. A lot of them looked pretty quality. So Nitro mm-hmm. Rad had one of them. Um, I might dive into them more now. I watched one or two just kind of get a little recap make sure i didn't miss anything Mm story-wise but yeah a lot of discussion on this game right and ragnarok's also just likes to cover like more obscure horror titles in general and so a lot of his videos are really good Mm. so i just recommend him in general but Mm. yeah i don't think there's any reason to play this game uh (laughs) like literally sit down and play it with a controller in your hand uh because there's 
nothing fun that you re- that you receive as the player by playing the game um unless you feel like the only like, like the only way that you can enjoy a story is through being the one who interacts with the world and stuff in that case i guess it's worth playing but i think for most people you are capable of enjoying this game fully by just watching it be played or an analysis of it because the the story is what is worth experiencing here the game is not good like the gameplay is not good um so yeah for most people i'd say pass just Mm -hmm. watch instead (laughs) all right morgan does this game need a remake I mean, yeah, it needs like an overhaul (laughs) a little bit. I agree. I wouldn't want to see. So um, there's a Japanese uh, indie game studio. We mentioned them earlier, I think. Onion Games. Mm -hmm. um, And they've expressed interest in wanting to remake uh, Punchline's two games, Tulip and Rule of Rose. I have no idea how difficult this would be. Not sure who owns it. Maybe Sony for Rule of Rose, not for Tulip. I don't know. yeah, so I I really don't I'm really unsure about like the the feasibility of anything like that. I would not want to see a remaster. I would love to see a remake. But that's also probably not going to happen. We might get a spiritual successor or a game that's kind of inspired by the themes mm-hmm. that this game brings up, but I think this game is kind of lost as far as any hope of getting something new on a modern console with it. So it would be good because the story is incredible. Yeah. And if the game was good as well, that would just, it'd be, it'd be we'd be in like all time classic territory. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, the gameplay is just really holding it back. Mm-hmm. All right. That's, uh, that's everything. We covered it. Okay. I'm going to say this is probably the longest episode. So sorry or thank you. I don't know what to say. Um, Are we supposed to be snapping in oh, wait. self-congratulations, clapping, whatever? We clap okay. every time we finish the episode. Okay. Well, we're not quite done. Well, we finished talking about the game. Okay. Yes. Yeah. These and, rules and, that I established may have changed yeah. episode to episode, but I'm I'm going to say that they were consistent from episode one. Okay. Um, what game are we playing next, Morgan? Oh, boy. Wait till I tell you about what game we're playing next. Final Fantasy X, baby. Baby. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a big game. It's a big game. It's going to be a long one. Like, you think this one is long? Um, that one might go longer. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I. It may be something worth just planning ahead of time for multiple recording sessions. Yeah. I mean, uh, we can talk about this more off air, but I wonder mm-hmm. if there would be like a halfway point sit down discuss. I don't know. It Oh, and then maybe it, it'll be like a two-parter? Yeah. But mm. not like a two-part episode. I think all episodes will just be one oh, podcast. Okay. Two-part recording yeah. session. So we okay. like discuss half the game, then discuss the second half of the game. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I, I think that would be more on you to call because you've, you're familiar with the game. So you Yeah, might, I know what's up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can discuss something yeah. like that. Uh, podcast episodes they will never be multiple parts 
we will go 24 hours if we have to. And you'll sit there <laughs> we and listen waste, to us. <laughs> yeah, we, we are here to waste your time. Yes, that We is do not respect your time. The point of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we want to fill all of your commutes and other boring aspects of your life that you need just noise in the background with uh, our, our gabble. So, yeah. Yeah. Final Fantasy X, very exciting, seminal PlayStation 2 game. Um, yes. I've never experienced it. Morgan's very familiar with it, but... Oh, it is It is definitely one of my favorite mm-hmm. of the Final Fantasies. So how will um, you be playing this? I want to ask right away, because oh, there's, a, there's um, many avenues. Yeah, the um, the HD remaster for the on the PS3. Yeah. Oh, PS3. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There is yeah, also an HD disc- remaster on the PS5. That's why I wanted to ask oh yeah no i just well so i had um a a disc for the ps3 and then it got scratched and stopped working and i was very mad so then i bought a digital version of it because i was already like a good chunk into the game i was like well i don't want to get the ps5 version and go through all that crap again so i just right yeah yeah. i bought the digital ps3 version Mm -hmm. but yeah that's good yep i'll be playing it my same way as always which is buying the game legally on ebay the game is mm-hmm. actually pretty cheap, so I may be able to do that, but we'll see. Um, it's such a fucking crab shoot. I've had so many scratch discs from stuff that I've bought on oh. eBay. It's just, mm. it's rough out there. Uh, I have it on PS5, and part of me was like, oh, I could play the PS5 version because I have it, and maybe get like a trophy. I probably mm-hmm. could not go for the Platinum. I just assumed that that would be a lot. It would be a lot, yeah. yeah. Not, yeah, for this, for like the purposes of finishing it for this podcast, no, I don't recommend yeah. that. But for the sake of, I don't know, the integrity of this podcast, I guess I'll play it on PS2, um, mm-hmm. just to get like the authentic original experience. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's all we got. Unless you have anything else to add, no. All right, thank you for listening to this episode. Please support the podcast by leaving a review or rating on whatever platform you like to listen on. Stay subscribed to follow up to date i am having a stroke i think uh (laughs) (laughs) subscribe or follow to stay up to date with what we're playing uh share the show with a friend who loves this generation of games or the ps2 or whatever uh write in with any questions feedback or game suggestions to analogstickmail at gmail.com and until next time goodbye goodbye